it going, everyone? Joe Gagne here, welcoming you to edition 91, Joe versus the World. Yes, we are back. It's our 15th anniversary. I could not let that pass without a show. And who better to join me than longtime friend, guest, and uh, WWF trivia champion, Mr. Justin Shapiro. Justin, how are you doing? Joe, I'm so thrilled, delighted, and elated to be here. I did run in the park today and breathe in all of the pollen, it sounds like. So, um... <laughs> My body is processing that, and it's mad. So this is the first time I've tried to speak at length, and I can see that's going to be a problem. So see if I can play through it. It has been cool the last couple days. I see so many people on the internet being like, that is the craziest podcast. I can't believe that that guest on that show. And I'm like, oh, man, people have heard. There's a lot of buzz about you and me getting on the saddle again. So, yeah, mind-blowing podcast situation that people are amped about. Yes. <laughs> you know, it's crazy to think about how much um, our lives have changed in the last 15 years. You know, I met my future wife, got married, I had a kid, I bought a house, I got promoted. Cool. And you, um, Steelers won some Super Bowls in that time, right? Penguins as well. Oh, there you go. What a, what a run. I like to keep my private life private, so. That's no, probably a good idea. I've done, let's see, what have I accomplished since 2006, was it? Okay. Um, when was 9-11? 2001? Yes, that was, I believe that was the, the year. Okay. Um, Obama elected. Da -da 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 -da, Hurricane Katrina. I didn't do that. No, I'm good. Okay. <laughs> I, I did. I listened to you on um, the uh, podcast that was uh, available on YouTube. And, yes. uh, so I was like, this is great to hear Joe just delve into Joe stuff. And I was waiting for the moment when you get into the inception of the show. I thought at some point you'd be like, well, I was really doubting myself. But then when I got on with Justin, it just clicked. And at that point, I knew we were golden, but my name didn't come up. But it was implied, I believe. <laughs> yes. I, I remember our first show, there was still audio issues and people couldn't really hear you. So even though uh, it wasn't smooth sailing right away, but I, th I knew we, we were onto something all the way back. For sure. Yeah, I looked. I was historic guest number two. You kicked it off with TCF himself. That's correct. And uh, Matt Forestine, number three, which I had not uh, really remembered. Hmm. And, and we're still competing at a high level. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Honestly, I would say I'm better now. So <laughs> That's good to know. It's probably like the second interview I ever did. So, yeah, it's just got a lot of reps in it. And, and now I just make up all kinds of stupid shit all the time. If you are new to the proceedings, we are doing reviews of WWF year by year, uh, which we have started to break out into parts because we would have to do a between the sheets level show to fit in the back half of the 90s. So we are returning to close out 1997, or at least get through early December. It has been quite a while since we did one of these. It's <laughs> This period is a little daunting. Not only are we at two hour raws, monthly three hour pay-per-views, including a fourth one in this time period. A little thing called the Montreal Screwjob has to be covered, which is probably the most dissected story in wrestling history. So this this wasn't, as much as I enjoyed everything I, I consumed, uh, it was not something I was looking forward to to review. <laughs> yes, you postponed it for five years, which is fair. <laughs> it was only about three. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm looking at the proceedings here. Yeah, I um, will do what we can. I think also talking about how things have changed since 2006 is like... Then it was ambitious to cover one year at a time every couple months or so. And now people do just like 
we're going to review that week and everything that happened. And that'll be one show. And then we will do another one the next week. Like, <laughs> that's so much. Yes, Why? It is a lot. Yes. Why would you do that? <laughs> Just ellipse some things. God. Mm. Yeah, I suppose that, yes, the biggest change since 2006 that you will notice, like, maybe if you say like one reasonably positive thing about AEW that gets retweeted by slightly more famous people is that the internet, I think in society at large and with respect to wrestling has completely broken everyone's brains. And uh, there's so many weird freaks out there who've gone completely nuts. Um, <laughs> in 2006, you could maybe like self-select your audience a little more. And now it's just like, everyone is going to talk together at the same time. And uh, that's a wide variety of uh, mindsets, I guess. I suppose so. We also kind of had the added pressure of multiple deadlines, not only, you know, being done in time to post this for the anniversary, which I believe will be April 22nd. Uh, the second was after Fastlane. <laughs> we noticed the network was going away. And I thought, that, I remember the day after Fastlane, people's subscriptions were shutting down. Mine was still active, but I thought, Oh no! I have to finish in your house. Degeneration X, which I don't think is a was a common sentiment when people saw their network disappearing. I really don't like that homework feeling for this show, which is why I have done none ever. Yeah, I um, yeah that is really disappointing because we were all set to announce like you're bringing Joe versus back with a Patreon. We're going to cover all of '98 <laughs> weekly shows, and right every week, yeah, one show. Yeah, right when you're about to push publish, that's like this Peacock thing changes. There, all the shows are gone, and if they ever do put them up, they will uh, be mostly pixelated. It sounds like so. <laughs> <laughs> this is a distressing turn of events, I have to say. Yeah, so to all the great loyal Joe versus the world heads out there, I'm so sorry. We were ready. We were really going to commit this time to uh, do 98 in a really concise throw manner. And if it wasn't for this freaking network changeover, so we'll, well, I guess we'll have to figure something out, but I know that won't be happening. You can keep subscribing uh, for, I would say, $6 a month would be good, $10 if you want to see video. <laughs> <laughs> but no, no we we can't do the shows. I'm sorry they took them away. Yes, but I mean, maybe I, my address will officially be a sunglass hut in Australia when I sign <laughs> up, and I can uh, I, we can um, we can resume. Yeah, you should. Well, it's versus the world, so you should get like a global <laughs> subscription from somewhere elsewhere, beamed via satellite. I'm happy though, because Joe, honestly, to me, 1998. The most popular year in wrestling when WWF had its most charismatic stars probably doing the best interviews, definitely in front of the most passionate crowds. That's bad to me. <laughs> I'm like, this is so bad. I just yawn and I get mad and I hate it. I'm like, what were they thinking? Weren't they why weren't they performing for like someone who was gonna binge this on technology that didn't exist twenty years later? Like that's pathetic on their part. <laughs> I'd say to be patient, but we, I mean, we may never get to that time <laughs> yep. period. Well, we can only do what's in front of us at this moment, and uh, I'm committed to that. So let's dive in. We will start. Um, we'll start with one night only. That was a UK only pay per view. Probably the second best pay per view of the year behind Canadian Stampede. It was headlined by the British Bulldog defending the European title against Shawn Michaels. They actually mentioned this show on Raw, although only the main event. And um, ran a little angle where Triple H and Sean attacked the Bulldog. And Sean said he wanted the European title to win the Grand Slam, which seems specious to me, but all right, whatever. 
So, uh, main event was Sean. <laughs> yeah, Sean. did anything bad happen with that, or is that all? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, the main event was Sean and Bulldog for the Euro title. You, you think, okay, Bulldog wins, cool. Uh, especially after he dedicates the match to his cancer-stricken sister and brings her out to ringside. Uh, Sean doesn't need the European title. That would be silly. They have a really excellent match. Probably the last great or even good thing the Bulldog ever did, at least in-ring. And uh, DX comes out as interfering liberally, and Davy's leg gives out during a power slam attempt outside the ring. Sean throws him in, slaps on a figure four, and the ref stops it. <laughs> and the crowd is not pleased, especially when Sean taunts the Smith family. <laughs> So reading at the observers at the time, Dave didn't make a lot of it in in the moment because he thought, well, they'll build to another pay-per-view in 98 in Bulldog's hometown, presumably in a universe where Sean would do a job to the British Bulldog. Come to find out that was the plan, but it was presented as such to Davey much closer to the event as in, hey, instead, uh, <laughs> what if you lose the match you dedicated to your dying sister? And I know, I know Brett was furious. DX was interfering all through the match. Neither he nor Owen... <laughs> showed up or did anything. I don't know what that was about. And I will never understand the hold Shawn Michaels had on uh, Vince McMahon. <laughs> That's my main, my main uh, takeaway from all this. I really like, I guess, uh, similar to what I just said about 98 wrestling, um, litigating old controversies about wrestling politics through a modern perspective where the, you completely remove the context and the counter-argument is like, why didn't they just not care? <laughs> why didn't he just tell his sister she was being stupid? That's what should have happened. That would be a normal thing. I don't see what the big deal was. It's fake, bro. Yep, cool stuff. Unfortunately, it was one night only, so they could not bring it back for a rematch. <laughs> I think that is the only one of their pay-per-views that adheres to the one-night thing because there was a, a, a two-night stand and I think a, <laughs> yeah. a three-night stand, but this genuinely was one night only. So um, poor David Smith. That's really, really stupid. So you think, hey, maybe like all of our other main events this year ending in DQs, maybe like neither guy could. <laughs> no, he will lose. The hero of the nation will lose to the least likable person. Uh, sorry. Sorry about all that. Could be a good angle for Harry Smith to come back and beat up some of all of the NXT children of Shawn Michaels. Um, <laughs> wow. Yeah, unfortunate things. But I, that, so this, that's the last story you have about Shawn Michaels' problems on this show, right? <laughs> we may have one or two more. Um. Okay. And I think the last cool thing the British Bulldog did was I remember that when he returned to the WWF in 1999 under also normal, healthy circumstances, um, he... He, like, beat up the big boss man and gave the hardcore title back to Al Snow because he, like the, the dog Pepper, was also a dog. So he st <laughs> stood up for dogs. <laughs> yeah, that was that jeans wearing period of the bulldog was kind mm -hmm. of rough. And he, um, he called Triple H Game Boy, and he Game really Boy. wrote that. Yeah, he really wrote that. It was not as good as he perhaps a burn as he thought it was. Or just once, maybe. But yeah. it was like... He's a game boy. He's a little thing people play with their hands. Not a cool game like Triple H tried to be. No. <laughs> All right. So, in, in better news, uh, underneath that was Bretton Undertaker for the title in one of Bret's last excellent matches, probably ever. Really good heavyweight battle. Undertaker sold and sold. Best match the two ever had. Kind of a dumb ending as Bret got his head stuck in the ropes and Undertaker kept attacking for the DQ. <laughs> Which was inevitable, but imagine if Undertaker won here. It would have saved us a lot of hassle down the road. Wow, that's true. I think Hell in a Cell is a 
number one contenders match, right? Or is it just an you informal one? No, so that would have they really could have gotten away from some really bad things uh, with a few changes here. Um, so yeah, I guess I should not have suggested a DQ in the European title match because I forgot about this one. Um, <laughs> on. You're right though. Yeah, I don't. I Brett is very in tune about his matches, so I can't remember whether he thinks this is his best match with Undertaker because it really is a cut above the, the Royal Rumble match and the SummerSlam match. I guess Royal Rumble one was okay, but they also don't do a finish in that one either, but yeah. they, they built a little better in this one. And uh, underneath that was Owen Vader, which was supposed to be Vader Shamrock, but Ken was hurt, and uh, this was also a really great match. We never really had like babyface Owen against Monster Heel, but it uh, works really well, and they worked a nice story. Owen trying to body slam Vader and uh, a real sleeper match that you'll probably never see because I don't think it's showing up on Peacock anytime soon. Hmm, yes. Well, an Owen DVD, right? Why couldn't that happen? <laughs> Plop that on there. Yeah, he is. That was, I never thought of it as you said, but yes, he's just like, I know how to fight a mock and sing type. It's like, I try to pull really hard for a sunset flip and he attempts to sit on me and I move and just fun things like that. It works. This is, yeah, I, I guess the difference between this and Canadian Stampede is, like, the accidentally unbelievably good card up and down was a, an actual, like, mainstream um, in-your-house pay-per-view, whereas this is, like, we <laughs> went to England and didn't care, so we <laughs> put on a, a really good card. Yeah, I didn't uh, I didn't see this whole thing. I've seen bits and pieces, certain matches, but um, not until I sat down and watched it on the network. So, yeah, it was not, it was not really floating out there to, uh, to my general knowledge. This was when uh, Shamrock, he was hurt a couple different times. Is this when he and Vader did, like, the shoot fight and he got really messed up? Yeah, I believe, yes, that is. the. Uh, they had a match <laughs> in uh, Japan, so. Speaking of Ken, uh, he was injured, but he did cut a promo where he was interrupted by Rockabilly, so he, Shamrock beat him up. And when Rockabilly comes out, Shamrock said, here comes the Harlem Globetrotters. And I, I don't know what that meant, and I really don't know. Maybe he meant the Generals? maybe yeah <laughs> like here comes the world champion chicago bulls what an idiot <laughs> it's very odd i really didn't know sometimes sometimes scripting promos is okay <laughs> you don't know yeah. you have to be off the cuff he was mostly good at telling people to uh get out of his way yes <laughs> uh it's also supposed to be owen and triple h that got changed to dude love versus triple h They've done better, but this was also very good. More wrestling-heavy than their brawls. I don't know if anyone really wants to see them fight with drop for uh, drop toe holds, but uh, on the whole, very, very good. And I will say the shocker of the night was the Headbangers versus Savio and Miguel Perez, which sounds really awful, but it was actually very good. They worked the uh, tag formula to perfection, and everyone just worked super hard, and maybe the Headbangers' finest, and maybe only uh, ours. So. <laughs> Now, unlike the history of the British Bulldog, I can't find a counterexample for that. <laughs> no, this is... A... Well, are you yeah. counting their other gimmicks? Because those were really, really good. <laughs> yeah, I don't, no, I, I don't think that's going to help the argument, expanding <laughs> that out. Uh, let's see, we also had Godwins versus LOD, which is what you would expect. We also had the Patriot versus Flash Funk in a weird match. I guess the battle of the uh, Bagwell partners. Uh-oh. JR just... Yeah, stated at one point, Flash had six kids at home, which I thought was weird. Like, he didn't really have a family man gimmick. <laughs> no, he was mostly a upbeat. I mean, Funk is right there in his name, as well as Flash. Yes. Um, <laughs> not. Hmm, hmm. Yeah. 
I don't want to talk about that. Okay. <laughs> I thought about something and I was like, that's just not worth the point. Okay. We'll edit what were the funk? They were the funkettes. The funkettes, yes. The funkadactyls were Cameron and Naomi, right? Yes. Okay. Okay. Um, well, any further thing I was thinking about that? No. <laughs> All right. Yes. The funkadactyls were associated with. Um, God, what was his? Uh, Broad's Clay. That was it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Remember when I said Broad's Clay? It would have like <laughs> a job for life because he had like the dancing gimmick and the kids would get into it. I thought, oh, this guy, no matter what happens, will uh, surely be popular forever. <laughs> and, uh, He's got it made, out- in the, made in the shade. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> turned out to not be true. Yeah, when I saw him on NXT, I was like, this guy, Alberto Del Rio and Ricardo Rincon, will run the business. <laughs> uh, and uh, last, last note of one night only, we also had Tiger Ali Singh versus Leaf Cassidy. So Tiger comes out talking about he's the Messiah. So I'm thinking, oh, he's a heel. That's good. And he also talks about kids staying off drugs. So you think, okay, <laughs> I don't, maybe not a heel? I, I don't know. Yeah, this was awful. <laughs> this stunk. He Tiger won with a bulldog called a Tiger Bomb. But maybe that's B A L. I'm not sure. <laughs> right. Yeah. You got a headache or neck pain? Take this Tiger Bomb. <laughs> All right. So that gets us out of Europe. Thank God. And uh, yeah. we'll move on to September. So the day after Ground Zero, they announced Undertaker and Sean would rematch at Bad Blood in a cage match, which made sense. They had DQ. No contest, things got out of control. This would not be any cage match. It would be hell in a cell. They just said it would be a different kind of cage with a roof on top, and the cage extends beyond the ring. We didn't see a diagram or anything. There was just a short video package where they showed it being built. But you could see it was huge, but I remember at the time, people online weren't all that excited. It was just like, oh, okay. Like, all right, I guess that's <laughs> They didn't know, yes. They would have no. like, well, yeah, for the first two, three, probably the fourth... I'm blanking on the fifth. I think that was Hunter and Jericho. But yeah, they it only had legendary matches for definitely the first two. And then probably the third. Yeah, yeah. This was a stipulation that worked. Um, yeah, well, first two were absolutely legendary. It was this match mm-hmm. and Triple H. No, it was, um, sorry, Mankind, Undertaker. Third one was Undertaker, Big Boss Man, which is kind of legendary oh, in its own yes, way. Yes, yes. But then That's we bounced that. back uh, with... Was it uh, Cactus Jack and Triple H? So we were mm-hmm. back on the good side. Uh, we had the six man, which was kind of weirdly middling. Mm-hmm. Then it should be Triple H and Jericho, I think, which also. Did they have to also? I thought they, they did. Oh, they did. That's right. I remember. Oh, that's right. The pedigree on top of the. That's game. why you would think, like, oh, those two together should be another classic match, but it was just one of those Triple H matches post 2001. Yes, I mean, I'm sure if you just started watching in the last 10 years, you could not care less about Helena. Right. Though, but uh, it was, this was a big deal for her. We were the first, like, we were the first 10 years of the gimmick. It was a, a notable business mover and usually produced. It was something like Triple H and Kevin Nash was, like, surprisingly mm-hmm. shockingly good. That was the problem is that it became only Triple H and Undertaker's match, which worked mm-hmm. sometimes. And then other times there were much hotter things that could have been contested inside the hell in the cell i well he may have been hurt at the time but i was really mad that triple h and Shawn michaels was hell in a cell and not jericho and christian i was like jericho and christian are actually mad at each other <laughs> <laughs> let them be in hell in a cell ray and well, a too well, undertaker and orton yeah. oh wait that came after eddie had died but you know what i mean earlier than that yes yeah no well, they let everyone into it now so you got your wish 
Well, the big sins of the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. I mean, being bad is probably number one. <laughs> three Hour Raw is number two, but the, the theme pay-per-views is a, a good number three because you, you really don't know how exciting it was for the first like, 10 years if you're just tuning in now. Yes, someone would take a dramatic pause and say, hell in a cell, and people would lose their marbles because it was going to be a completely bonkers violent fight um, and really memorable match. Um, now there are three per show, and sometimes it's like Roman Reigns and Jey Uso will be like, <laughs> and it will be contested in Hell in a Cell. I guess at the very least, those are two people who were at the time really mad at each other, but when it's like Randy and Sheamus, Randy and Jeff Hardy, there's like, and uh, because this is in October, a big thing will lower from the ceiling during your match. <laughs> there have been times, to- like, Owen, or, um, uh, Ambrose and Rollins would probably be a really memorable Hell in a Cell if there had been no other Hells in a Cell in the two years around that. Mm. Um, but now it's just one of the the Wikipedia uh, lists 25 Hell in a Cell matches. <laughs> yeah. So Sean and Undertaker basically yelled at each other for a month. The ex-attack taker and MSG tried to put him in a body bag the next week, but he escaped. Sean tried to escape by climbing the Titan Tron. And they did say the winner would get a title shot at Survivor Series. So just the sense of dread you get watching these shows. <laughs> it's, it's palpable, let me tell you. That's some really nice Tony Khan booking where like stuff <laughs> happened in a structured manner. Why bother yeah. with that ever anymore? <laughs> um, Tony Khan, a name we would never have to say. Joe versus the world before now. I suppose not, unless um, something Jaguars related. Would <laughs> oh, yes, up. right. Or whatever football mm-hmm. team he owns. When Maurice Jones Drew was the special guest referee at uh, <laughs> Hell in a Cell 2007. <laughs> <sighs> All right. Uh, when we last left uh, Stone Cold, he was hurt from the botched pile driver at SummerSlam. So they kept him busy by stunning non wrestlers. The night after Ground Zero, Sergeant Slaughter was acting as commissioner because Gorilla Monsoon was in bad health. He stripped him of the IC title, so Austin fat shamed him and also gave him a stunner. <laughs> He said, the only orders you've been given are for hamburgers or something like that. <laughs> uh, the next week, he was interviewed by Jerry Lawler, and Owen Hart hit him with a restraining order. In the figurative sense, not, not a literal one. Is that what the Enzigiri is called? <laughs> no, it's not. guess I should have said a submission move, but you see what I meant. <laughs> well, I, I know what you're going for. As Austin was perusing it, Lawler kept trying to read over his shoulder, so Austin gave him a stunner and a spot. I still, I still enjoy greatly, I have to say. And it all built to MSG, where Vince McMahon confronted Austin. Vince had been established as an owner, at least more than an announcer, when Brett yelled at him. So at MSG, Austin attacked Owen from behind, and he was swarmed by the cops because of the restraining order, which is not how things work, but you know, so, so be it. Uh, Vince got in the ring, told Austin he can't break the law, he needs to take time off and get better, everyone just wants him to be well. And Austin responds by giving Vince the first of, what would you say, 200 stunners? Not not that night, but in the, uh, the <laughs> rivalry. Oh gosh, I, I probably could have ballparked it before we lived through fifteen years of like nostalgia reappearances. So now I'm not sure, but <laughs> two hundred seems like a safe, generous lowball. Mm. Uh, the drama was: would Austin be fired, and uh, he he would not be. <laughs> yeah, I get. Oh, well, aside from the looming sense of dread, you can also see the other really positive things that accidentally came into the place from this time courtesy of like austin having a broken neck and uh interacting with certain individuals yes 
<laughs> that was, not being uh, able to wrestle. Like what like Steve Austin in September with no botched pile driver would have uh, should have called the restraining order the pile driver. See, that would have been smart. Uh, but, uh, he would have just been like Austin Owen Hart rematch, and then maybe like Austin in the flag match or something crazy. So. <laughs> All right, moving on. Last we left off, Brian Pillman had won Terry for 30 days. He released a bunch of videos called the Triple X Files, where he basically <laughs> implied he was really tired. Well, he was tired, but he, you could infer as to why that was. Uh, he dressed Terry up <laughs> like a tart, it seems. <laughs> and she kept promo saying she just wants to see her daughter like a hostage video, which I guess it was. Uh, this was really, this was icky. <laughs> and um, You may as well finish this point because I'm not right. sure what I say will apply. Yes. Uh, uh, no, I was just going to move on. There was a neat bit during the uh, uh, Brian Owen match where Terry cheap shotted Owen and caused problems that way, but she was mostly a prisoner. And somehow this led to a proposed Dude Love Pillman match at Bad Blood, where if uh, Dude won, Goldust would get Pillman in a match immediately, and Goldust and Terry would renew their vows the next night on Raw. And I like how they just like had to go along with this. <laughs> like, God. oh, we lost the match, so who knows what will happen if we don't obey. Right. Oh, yeah, it's legally binding. God. Yeah. <laughs> um, as we go through the show, should we play the role of unpaid Peacock interns who decides which segments <laughs> will be erased? Because yes. I think Austin fat shaming is probably still okay by 2021 standards, but this? Yes, this, is, this was very dubious at the time. Okay. And now, I mean, it was dubious at the time. People were like, uh, but now, especially, mm-hmm. it's like, this would not fly. Yep, yep. I'm, well... Yeah, I had a semi-serious point to make, and it's just kind of sad and boring, so go ahead. Okay, I think we can kind of get a hint where you were going. Okay. um, All right, so with the IC title being vacated, we had a tournament. And what a tournament this was. I met Johnson beat Rocky Maivia in the opening round, so okay, good start. Ken Shamrock beat Farouk, but the nation attacked Shamrock afterwards, and he was hurt, so they put Farouk back in. Pillman and Dude Love went to a DQ, and Goldust attacked Pillman. And Goldust and Owen Hart went to a DQ, and Goldust hit him with a low blow. <laughs> so then the next round, we had Ahmed and Farouk, but that goes to a DQ, and Ahmed just flips out. The other semi was Owen and Pillman, and Pillman tried to fake an injury, but Sarge put an end to that, and that match ended with a DQ when Goldust ran in and hit Owen first. So that's six matches, one clean finish, one screw job, where the guy got the guy that lost got put back in and four DQs. And uh, But you try to pinpoint where the IC title went off the rails. This seems like a good point, although... I think the Rock's title run in '98 was kind of the last hurrah, <laughs> really. You know, the really last great run for the for that belt. Then the fun started. Um, yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I recently watched the movie "My Dad Is a Heel Wrestler" for a podcast review, oh. and uh, I at the time declared it the greatest freaking tournament in the history of freaking wrestling. Um, but I, I I remember this one now. I'm like, oh, that was the greatest tournament in the history of <laughs> yeah. wrestling. This is a pet point of mine to the point where I don't remember if I made it on the last show we did for the previous quarter of 97. But it really bugs me um, from an OCD perspective, the extent that Austin's injuries and other surrounding things caused so many titles to get vacated in 97. Mm-hmm. Because there's such a straight line where, like, it didn't you didn't need all these tournaments repeatedly. When Sean and Austin had the tag titles and Sean left, then they could have just said, like, you have to pick a partner. And Mick Foley could have been like, pick me. And Austin could have been like, no, etc. And then that goes on and Austin gets hurt. And then Foley has to defend the title by himself. And the New Age Outlaws beat him in a handicap match. And then you have no, no title vacant, no bad tournaments. And then with the IC one, we will see. I guess I'm getting ahead of you, so I'll say what should have happened with that 
when you get to uh, December. All right. So uh, we had mentioned them running MSG on September 22nd. Very memorable because uh, besides McMahon's first stunner, there was a scheduled Dude Love versus Triple H Falls Count Anywhere match. But before that, there was a video with Dude and Mankind saying they had something else, in, someone else in mind, and Cactus Jack came out. And this is a great brawl if you've never seen it. It was really rewarding to see the Cactus Jack character, not only in the WWF, but Madison Square Garden. I know it's not surprising to see someone like, uh, I don't know, Keith Lee largely be unchanged from the indies, at least aesthetically. But this kind of thing didn't really happen at the time. And the MSG show, which was live, not only lost handily to Nitro, is down before from a tape show in Munson, Indiana. So things were still not, uh, not all that great yet. It was a really cool convergence of different things that you just brought about. The location and the, I guess, just the unprecedented gimmick switch and all the built-in affection people had for that gimmick. And they had a really good match. I wonder if the match, well, it's probably overshadowed just because they had those 2000 matches that were better. But if this was an angle to set up a match and then they had that street fight on um, Bad Blood, maybe it would be a more memorable match. Mm. But people certainly remember this and... Worth checking out if you ever can someday. I think I did a really good impression of the two guys talking to each other, maybe on one of your game shows that we did in the last year. <laughs> I can't replicate it now, but go find that footage and enjoy it. All right. Also at MSG, Captain Lou was randomly shown taking notes at ringside. So I have no idea if this is supposed to lead anywhere or just be a cute cameo. They're doing a lot of history pieces that night, but I don't know who the captain would be managing in... Um, I can think it's the headbangers, but I don't know. Right. If you have a Lou Albano and want to do something with him on TV, I guess it has to be semi-normal, whereas now he would just be part of like a big group party of people saying really bad in-jokes about old gimmicks of wrestlers and everyone laughing and laughing. And then Ted DiBiase comes in, he's going to buy everyone because he's the richest man, and then, and then Kelly Kelly's like, no. So I could, <laughs> I could write the skits. Man, who'd want to go to AEW when you could do that and stuff? <laughs> Every Andy Orton show up and call you a piece of crap, and uh, you just kind of nod your head and say, yep. Mm-hmm. I'm bad. <laughs> I'm a pathetic, broken man. <laughs> we had a lot of Lucha Minis matches on Raw and pay-per-view with Max Mini and other assorted wrestlers. Sometimes I wonder if they would have been better off having this as their light heavyweight division and treating it as special attraction rather than just kind of going through the motions of the light heavyweight title. That's interesting. We'll put them all together in one division. <laughs> yeah. Max Mini versus Papi Chulo. <laughs> that, I'd watch. Well, I never considered that. That is a good idea. We'll get I'm not making heavy. a joke, but I'm not like demeaning them, but I think Kai and Tai or as I call them, Kai and Tai Deluxe, are short enough that they could have passed for like the monsters of the mini division. I forgot Sable did a whole laser tag series of vignettes where she shot lasers at the headbangers and Fred Blassie was involved. That's probably not true. No, <laughs> no that happened. I and swear. one fake news point will be included in every <laughs> Joe versus the world. I was going to say Karate Fighters really won the uh, nostalgia war. In, uh... Right. That was the greatest freaking tournament in the history of professional <laughs> wrestling. Karate Fighters. <laughs> I think so. So that brings us to In Your House, Bad Blood. The last uh, pay-per-view Vince ever called. And he would be off uh, TV soon as well. So respect to a real one there. <laughs> From the Keel Center in St. Louis, they had 21,000 people there. Uh, 17,000 paid. Do you have a guess at what the, the gate was for uh, for that show? 
Oh, uh, probably about six hundred and seventy-five thousand dollars. Two hundred twelve thousand. Oh yeah, I was thinking of uh, WrestleMania. Yes, it would be like a million dollars today. But back then, it's like, come one, come all, five bucks for a show. Wrestling uh, at the chase. <laughs> Put on your finest garb. <laughs> The second biggest crowd in the uh, the city's history at that point behind uh, Jim Londos and Strangler Lewis in 1934 that drew 34,000. I don't know why I felt in- <laughs> inclined to include that, but I did. So, Yeah, that's real Conrad stuff. Just like, <laughs> I must know the money stuff. Definitely hear me repeat just a series of large numbers. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I think the power move here is... Uh, invite Angelo Poffo to this Legends night, and then Randy Savage feels like, what have I done with my life? <laughs> uh, yes. Um, this is a show where Brian Pillman passed away that day. They announced it at the beginning of the show. I think the free-for-all as well. And Vince actually said they would not belabor the point, but they kept checking in. They're like, well, he's found dead in his hotel room, but there was no foul play. It was likely a drug uh, overdose. A problem in sports and entertainment, and maybe sports entertainment. <laughs> so... Uh, <laughs> A non-foul, fair, <laughs> drug overdose. It's, um, you know, this is, uh, it's obviously horribly tragic and also kind of amazing this ha- happened to the one guy you think would pull a stunt and fake his own death. Like, wh- mm-hmm. what did you think at the time when you heard this? Um, let's see. I had started 10th grade, I think. So I didn't see wrestling for like a month. And then um, I saw a WWF magazine cover about this and was deeply alarmed so that's what i thought at the time okay I was like what are you talking about Lion brian tillman my friend from tv um yeah that's my memory i think that there is less than two years after this a pay-per-view where the wrestler actually dies on the show really overshadows the strangeness awkwardness arguably i mean maybe not tackiness because uh, i don't want to make those decisions but people reacting to it and how hard that is yeah so this is a warm-up for any yeah worse one of those yep Think uh, of a is... joke to segue to uh <laughs> it also meant that they could not use the bad blood name for six years and then six years later they're like it's probably fine now <laughs> i never thought about that but i guess it was kind of a cursed name but i mean over the edge was gone mm-hmm. forever right they were like, well, is it okay if it's over the limit? Oh, <laughs> like, yeah, I guess true. so. <laughs> Those are different things to be over, I guess. They both sort of imply, like, it's gone crazy. But, yeah, uh, they're, they're not they're difference of degree, not kind. And, uh... <laughs> and then the September one from this year, they just they knew it was going to be a problem down the road. <laughs> so they never went back to it. Yes. I right. saw um, the, the poster of Bad Blood is Undertaker holding his own decapitated head. <laughs> I, must have missed that. I don't really have anything funny to say about that under, other than I didn't like it. That is an odd uh, message to send, but possibly, oh, there you go. Oh, but his head is still attached, so that makes it right. Look. Yes, it's a second, it's a doppelganger head. It is clearly the fake Undertaker. He right, we know where he's, <laughs> he went now. <laughs> wow. Should the WrestleMania poster be Randy Orton holding the evil Randy's head? Or the, <laughs> the demon Randy? Randy is pretty evil. <laughs> not brought up for years, but then randomly brought back. <laughs> Truly, we should not give him ideas because like, 
the nefarious fiend holding the like swamp wizard Bray Wyatt head does seem like something. He already does that. No, that's, <laughs> that's, <not true. laughs> that's his thing. The, the light concept. What the hell, man? Uh, I'm glad we won't have to tackle that for yes. uh, 16 years or so. I don't think we're going to live that long to get to that. <laughs> don't worry. Um, this was not a good show overall, but given the circumstances, uh, you know, a roster member passed away. Several matches were thrown together. We can't really blame them. But I wouldn't, you know, you shouldn't watch anything but the main event, which was, in fact, the first ever Hell in a Cell match between Undertaker and Shawn Michaels, which is arguably the second or third best match of the decade for the company. <laughs> they build it as like, well, Shawn Michaels is clearly doomed. But the famous ending, debut of Kane, it's got to be Kane. He rips the door off the hinges. Tombstone's The Undertaker, costs him the match. Nowadays, when they have a yeah, they have a ton of matches. They have a stipulation like um, you know someone's banned from ringside or the manager's in a cage, and the announcers are like, "The heels have no chance of winning," mm-hmm. and then they they still do, and it's like, "Well, nevertheless." But uh, that, that sounds like um, what happened here. But Sean took such a profound beating at the hands of the Undertaker. You, you don't think like, "Well, he got away with that." Like he's bleeding buckets. He fell off the top of the cage to a table. Undertaker just brains him with a chair. Uh, at the end, you were like, yes, this is a satisfying conclusion, even if you won. And uh, we also kick off a two-decade-plus run of Kane. Hall of Famer, man. <laughs> um, yes, like, the attention to detail that the cell was so impenetrable, and, like, no one gets in, no one gets out. They had to invent the scenario with, like, a civilian getting injured to open it. And now, normally what happens is they're like, well, I guess he raised it. <laughs> <laughs> He brought out a lead. series of yeah. tools. Yeah. <laughs> the normal thing that happens. Um, so, yes, that real attention to detail, Hell in a Cell, um, is preserved, even though the complaint of every cage thing is how the cage tip is prostituted. Oh, yeah. Uh, Kane, I only learned recently, spun him around on the tombstone like he did. I thought he was being dramatic or even doing some kind of like symbolic occult thing, but I guess he was just looking for the hard cam. <laughs> Should have gone to NXT. Right. <laughs> yes. Yes. Send like the a uh, uh, Unibomb or whatever in uh, OVW <laughs> for Jim Cornette to blow a gasket when they turn <laughs> my beautiful Unibomb into this demon monster guy. So yes. Uh beneath that we had a flag match between Brett and Bulldog, Vader and the Patriot. I mean, the flags were set up in opposite corners, so you usually think, well, grab a flag to win. But they also counted pinfall, so it was just, it was just really weird. It, went on, it was like 23 minutes. It went on forever. A fan ran in at one point. That was the peak of excitement. And uh, Brett pinned the Patriot after a roll-up. And um, the baby faces, I think, attacked the heels afterwards because they were just poor sports. And, uh, yeah, that was it for the Patriot because um, he tore his triceps. He'd be gone in early 98. But uh, that closes his really odd short run in like you know this really hot <laughs> period in the company's history he's a real historical interloper like bret hart's only non-undertaker Shawn michaels main events until he's done with his story wf career is an extended program with the patriot now to be fair patriot this guy loves united states america so <laughs> you have to understand why he'd be mad about what bret hart was saying but yeah, I don't know who you would CGI replace him in a historical recut of this. I guess Shamrock, but Shamrock was injured. But yeah, um, so. 
it would be cool if Shamrock had one of these title matches because, like, Shamrock versus Sean, no one really enjoys that. It's also kind of a historical interloper, although mostly normal, but the Patriot. So you could have had, like, Bret Hart versus guy he brought to the company, blah, blah, blah. Oh, well. Yeah, I wonder how had he lasted further into the Attitude Era. Would he have, like... <laughs> Turned his back on his country gun like the Sergeant Slaughter route. Not that we had. Oh yeah. Yep. It just feels like all American guy wouldn't wouldn't really have lasted uh, <laughs> further into the Attitude Era. That is probably exactly what would happen. Oh, I have an idea. Can you imagine if he became some sort of dark patriot? <laughs> oh man, crazy. I forgot about that. Uh huh. Take the patriot. This is the dark patriot. <laughs> so yes. I think to tie all the points I've sort of randomly made, like, remember when Orton's face was burnt and he wore that mask, like, once? So, he was basically a dark patriot at that point. I guess so. But yeah, that absolutely would have happened. Honestly, they should have done it as soon as that Survivor Series, because he would have been on the anti-Canada team, so he should have taken off his patriotic mask and had, like, a maple leaf mask underneath. That would have been cool. There you go. Which um, Vince Russo would do with Jim Duggan later in WCW. All good things. I can't wait oh, to yes, tackle absolutely. when we shift over to WCW and get to 1999. 2000, right? Yeah. So Owen uh, beat Farouk to win the IC title. Austin was around at ringside harassing the various commentary teams. It was really the focus of the match. Not much happened until Austin hit Farouk with a wrench to give Owen the title. I felt it was pretty obvious he wanted to win the belt from Owen, but the announcers were confused. They're like, why would he do this? So, <laughs> um, But I can't imagine either guy having to go out either Austin or Owen under right. these circumstances. So mm-hmm. that must've just been, I mean, you kind of forget cause it was, it was so long ago and such a different gimmick, but you know, him and Pillman were a great tag team for quite a while. So, yep. Yes. I'm reminded of what we talked about with the, um, SummerSlam match where it was like, well, the stone cold character, it would destroy his gimmick if they stopped the match because then by law, he would have had to kiss Owen Hart's <laughs> ass. So yeah, here, Stone Cold Steve Austin couldn't be sad or reflective or moved. He was just, um, had to raise hell, etc. Yes, indeed. Godwin's won the tag titles in a bad match that went 12 minutes. And as good as the miracle match against the upper equals was, this was as bad. And, um, <laughs> that was, that was a stipulation. <laughs> it was <here. laughs> the Godwin's or his was in a bad match. <laughs> yes. Um, it was, was um, a- bad in a bag. Or something. <laughs> The headbangers are another kind of weird. Like, oh yeah, they had a tag mm-hmm. title run for you know twenty eight days or whatever. Yes, because I guess like the gimmick sort of seems like an attitude era thing. To when I think, yeah, they were they did a nostalgia spot on one of the thousand ones in the last four years. So I can't remember when, but it was like, why? <laughs> like, I think <laughs> this is the biggest moment in the headbangers' career: their <laughs> appearance on a Raw reunion. They were in, I think, when they made the SmackDown tag titles, I think they were in the tournament for them. Right, remember, yes, sir. yes, yes. That's, again, clearly not true, which is why I didn't remember <laughs> it. I think maybe just the gimmick seemed like in 1998, it would have been a big Attitude Era thing, like the Godfather or whatever, but it was not. No, it sure wasn't. They turned on the oddities. I think that was their only angle. Oh, yeah. Uh, there's also a bonus match of Max Mini and Nova against Mosaic and Tarantula to replace Pillman Dude Love, which was obviously canceled. That was thrown together. It was not nearly as good as usual. And a bonus match, what a bonus, of Los Bariquas in DOA 
because I guess the show was running short, so they threw them out there. So uh, DOA ended up winning. Congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> we had LOD versus uh, D'Lo, Rocky, and Kama. It's supposed to be a six-man, but Shamrock was hurt. So I don't know why they didn't make it a tag or allow the LOD to find another partner, but whatever. Uh, this was fine. Fruk ran down to distract and Rock hit an early, if not the first Rock bottom for the pin. So we Modified the- slam maneuver. Yeah. Gets the free. <laughs> uh, we, yeah, weird they did the job given where they're going to go, but whatever. And um, lastly, we had a legend segment where they did video packages. They brought out Gene Kaniski, Jack Briscoe, Harley Race, Story Funk Jr., Terry Funk, Luthez, and Sam Mushnick. And uh, it was very nice, although I can only imagine what like Luthez thought of this show. <laughs> and uh, it is funny they honor Terry Funk as a legend, and he's a pretty vital part of the company in the coming months. So <laughs> that was good. And this is only like 10 minutes, but um, you know, pay-per-view time was valuable back then. I mean, now you can have The Undertaker talk to TV screens for an hour, and it's <laughs> fine. A L- little odd they went this way. The WrestleMania thing is they come out and wave. It's yes. They're in there and out of there. <laughs> for Unless you Hall of Fame. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Now, I thought it was a bummer. It was a nice segment. And then to have Kane come out again and chokeslam everybody. Was <laughs> I don't remember. So, just a downer for heat. God, ugh. I guess I got edited off Peacock already because I don't. <laughs> but uh, absolutely watch the main event if you haven't. <laughs> My notes say it's easy to find on Peacock, so I, I guess I was optimistic. Uh, yes, they have taken out the occult imagery of the and the profanity of the Hell in a Cell term. <laughs> so on to November, the night after the pay per view, we had a ten bell salute for Brian Pillman. A nice video package. Oh God! <laughs> Just realized another thing to talk about and for me too. <laughs> Just be like, yep, that was uh, that was bad, Joe. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> yes, uh, I think I think this was the first tribute show, which they sadly would get down to a science in the years to come. I mean, he was the first active guy to pass away. I think to us as fans, anyway. I don't remember. I mean, certainly people in territories had passed away while active, but this was kind of the first one for us. Like, you know, Andre died fairly young, but he was retired. He hadn't been on TV. Pillman was in the middle of an angle, like. <laughs> And this is also where Vince interviewed Melanie Pillman in a real low light in both the history of Monday Night Raw and humanity. The day after her husband died, he's asking, like, what do you have to say to other athletes about the dangers of prescription medicine? <sighs> and amazingly, how will you support your children? This was not the Brody Lee tribute show, to say the least. But I remember Bruce Pritchard trying to justify this. And I don't have the exact quote, but it was basically like, well, this is what a news magazine would have done. As if that makes it okay. <laughs> so, yep. Right, they were just Very feeling their, prof- yes. their professional obligations for the <laughs> Livewire media brand to get to the bottom <laughs> of these stories. Yep, okay. <laughs> yes, this, is, this should be edited off Peacock just in terms of a quest for human decency, I feel. We Come had, uh, yes, we had Brett and Sean set up for Survivor Series. So that's nice and simple, right? And then in the November 10th Observer, we get this note saying... <laughs> Bret Hart gave notice over the weekend that he was leaving the World Wrestling Federation in his 20-year contract and officially agreed to terms for a two-year deal with World Championship Wrestling. And I remember, really clear as day, I was in college at the time. I, you know, I think I had dinner. I got back to my room. I checked the computer. I saw the news. And I thought, oh, my God, the WWF, they're done. <laughs> they're finished. <laughs> now, I have to take an L the size of Jupiter on that one because even more so when it comes out, Vince basically wanted him gone. He wanted out of that contract. And I don't know, maybe it was just the fact the pipeline between the WWF 
in WCW had flowed so strongly in one direction for so long. But I mean, this was Bret Hart. Like he'd been there forever. We talked about him on every episode of this godforsaken venture. <laughs> I don't know. What did What did you think when you? I mean, did, did you hear the news ahead of time or? He was also the um, World Wrestling Federation heavyweight champion. Yes, also a valid point. <laughs> um, I think I was so wow, jeez, I was so accustomed to Nash Hall and so on showing up. I was like, I guess that makes sense, but it was still uh, for obvious sentimental and like no pun intended heartbeat of the company type reasons. Um, yeah, I'm very jarring. I think I did not understand wrestling enough to reflect on how WWF would be like struck with a fatal blow. But I did think with my rudimentary understanding of like things that would be good in the future, my L would probably be like, wow, that would be such a big deal when he is on Nitro. I don't remember knowing what was real while the TVs were playing out though. Um, and all like the Eric Bischoff innuendo and things like that. So it, uh, yeah, I think I was just like wrestling is on TV. This is happening in my little maturing brain process. Uh, I have this paragraph from the observer here. Uh, at this point, he decided on the WWF offer more because of how he always felt the story of his career that he wanted to write was going to end with him writing off in the sunset as a hero in the WWF, something Hulk Hogan never did legitimately out of loyalty to the company that made him a celebrity and the WWF fans. And also to avoid what he felt were potential pitfalls of going to a company where longtime rival Hulk Hogan was the biggest star. His story had to be amended to a story where he left the company that made him famous because he could no longer put up with the direction of the racial angles and antics of his most hated rival and the company's pick to replace him as champion Shawn Michaels. That had made him so embarrassed as to no longer allow his children to watch WWF television. You know, people say like, oh, Brett was such a bad fit in WCW. It didn't work. But, I mean, what could he do? He was 40. He didn't have a place mm-hmm. in the WWF anymore. I mean, at least, you know, he offered him money and a chance at a movie role. But, and, you know, it was it was bad, but, you know, at least he got paid. And WWE or WCW had a very stacked senior division at that point that he would have slid right into as one of just the many competitors competing. Yeah, you would think. Well... Sorry. Yeah. I may not be until the Observer issue a year later with the Wrestling with Shadows summary and like Dave hears what happens on the um uh, uh hidden microphone, but since he had already Brett had already been given the scenario of if he stayed, which was like a poison pill, I guess, like here's some stuff you can really get excited about. It was like <laughs> he loses to Sean in Montreal. Or no, okay, so Montreal is a DQ, then he's in a four way in December, he loses the belt that... Oh, no, that was the alternative after he left. Okay, either way, Brett loses the belt. Royal Rumble is a ladder match, Brett versus Sean. He loses. Then the next night on Raw, Brett puts his career on the line against Sean. He wins the belt back, and then he drops the title to Austin at WrestleMania. And I don't know what Mike Tyson... Oh, Mike Tyson would have been there because he's too expensive. So that's a different version of history. Yes, and probably, I mean, maybe not Tyson if Brett's contract is still on the books, so. Mm-hmm. Right. Oof. So, But it would have been a nice uh, full circle, like, payoff to the Brett-Austin rivalry. Yes, that would have been very satisfying to, but obviously it did not affect Steve Austin at all. Nope. 
So back to the Observer, exactly what is going to happen in Montreal is unclear. With Hart leaving, everyone will expect him to lose to Michaels for logical, common-sense business reasons. With wrestling the way it is today, the title switch shouldn't be taken as a lock, although obviously he'll be dropping the title at some point very quickly. So we had a ton of back and forth between DX and the Hart Foundation, and it was very tense. They apparently agreed to lay off each other's families, but Sean made a crack about Stu Hart being brain dead and his body not catching up which I guess he apologized for later, so they got caught up in the moment. DX replayed the curtain call and yelled at Vince. Uh, Brett was questioning the sexuality of Sean and Hunter. Things were weirdly intertwined because the Nation of Domination dressing room was vandalized, and the Canadian flag was left behind. And the announcers are seriously wondering if the hearts did it, despite the fact you have DX, who likes to stir things up, and a biker gang around, too. So the Nation of Domination was also feuding with LOD and Shamrock and Ahmed, and Farouk was mad at Austin, and so was Ahmed because of the whole tournament thing. So there are a lot of uh, it was not straight A to B booking at this time period. Yes, I think it's it's good um, ambiguity in your angles. Whether you're like, who did this racist thing? Was it the anti-United States faction, or was it the American white nationalist faction? <laughs> yes. And then what is the truth commission? <laughs> they just Oh my goodness. Anyway, thankfully no one from the truth commission has any relevance in wrestling today, so we don't have to touch on that. Yes. Steve Austin had interfered in the IC title match, giving Owen the win, not surprisingly, because he wanted to be the one to beat him for it. But there was still the issue of getting cleared. Basically, Austin agreed to sign a waiver if he got a match with Owen at the pay-per-view. He also interfered liberally, including costing Ahmed the title. But uh, Austin wasn't wrestling yet. He was still getting his final clearance. And another note, in real life, Austin's meeting with Dr. Joseph Torg in Philadelphia this past week was said to be uh, sobering. Torg said that if Austin suffered another bump like the one he got from Owen Hart, there was a good chance of temporary paralysis. You know, people think Austin's career got cut short, and that's sad. And it was cut short. But I think it's actually kind of amazing we got all we did out of him after and you know, that SummerSlam 97 match. That is precisely what I was thinking, because um, he'll go a whole two years exactly before he has the surgery, and then he has like a bonus run on top of that. So it is sort of, it's A, miraculous that that happened, and B, miraculous or disturbing that we are only two months out from seeing him paralyzed on pay-per-view, and now it's like, well, the swelling's gone down, so he can probably work like a, a shortcut match at Survivor Series. Yeah, he's probably... If this happened to him today, he's probably done, right? Like they, mm-hmm. Or two, three years ago before when you could be oh, medically yes. disqualified, I guess. Um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, wow. I mean, I mean, nowadays it wouldn't matter because they don't really work in individual stars. It's just more the, the brand. Right. Pushed, so that they wouldn't give a shit if one random guy, you know, doesn't wrestle. But back then it kind of mattered a bit. Yeah. The centerpiece for whatever success or failure it was had a like severe illness diagnosis, and uh, I don't. There were no like earth-shaking ramifications. They just like did some other stuff, and then he came back. Yes. <laughs> I'm like, I guess Seth Rollins can wrestle Brock Lesnar, sure. <laughs> so the raw after the pay-per-view, there was a non-title lumberjack match between the Godwins and Headbangers that saw the LOD and really everyone on the roster get involved and. Um, Hawk got an icy title shot for some reason, and the Godwins cost him that match. So that led to a tag title match that actually main evented Raw. They did a lot of vignettes with LOD, talked about their history. 
they did end up uh, winning the tag titles and Uncle Cletus. So I don't think we mentioned he debuted when they won the titles from the Headbangers. He was another Godwin, which was not needed, but uh, this was his kind of write-off here. His interference backfired. I don't know why the LOD just didn't win, but whatever. That was the end of Cletus. And uh, it's very respectful to the Legion of Doom in contrast to how they would be presented pretty much going forward. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's almost... I hate to attribute any kind of planning or hindsight to this, but I know that a team that doesn't even exist yet really embarrasses them and sets them up for like the last consequential thing they did. So with the debut of Kane, we had The Undertaker cutting a promo, saying Paul Bear poisoned Kane's mind that he would not fight his brother. So Kane said, okay, I'll fight everyone else, including the Hardy Boys, Flash Funk, and Dude Love, which later caused mankind to say he'd fight Kane anywhere, anytime. After he attacked him, which led to Sergeant Slaughter coming out and saying due to the mental states of both men, he would not sanction the match, which is a funny way of pro- promoting uh, mental well-being. <laughs> Mankind attacked Slaughter, and eventually he made the match, which kind of rewards bad behavior, if you ask me. Truly, yes. People need to be better behaved. Like, look what Steve Austin does to these people, too. And like, he... <laughs> All the success he has. Yes. So, I think you were kind of mentioning a tag team. We will go back to Shotgun Saturday night. The Honky Tonk Man had cost Billy Gunn a match, and Jesse James came down, asked Gunn to team up with him, which led to Gunn beating Honky Tonk Man with a guitar. As they teamed up as the Road Dog and Badass Billy Gunn, uh, the name would come a little bit later. They had no entrance theme at first, just the Road Dog cutting a promo. And you know this would become the New Age Outlaws in a little bit. I'm sure we will have a long discussion about the Outlaws in the years to come. How they, you know, they're always like, whenever they do these lists of the top tag teams of all time, they're usually like top five. But, you know, they certainly were a memorable part of one of the more popular eras in wrestling history. But they, <laughs> they were also like, <laughs> I don't, I don't know, like they didn't really have like good memorable matches, and they weren't around that long either. It was really mm-hmm. when you take out the time they broke up, it was like two years basically. But I mean, at the time, I really got a kick out of them because. You know, just kind of the weirdness of these two guys who are just complete goofball gimmicks kind of being more real and they you know, like, talk like real people. Mm-hmm. They like South Park. That was cool to me. <laughs> and uh, and uh, I have to sh- say, shouldn't they have been the modern day outlaws? Like, New Age <laughs> it's like makes me think they should have had Enya for their theme music. Like, <laughs> and um, they are, they should have been the techno team outlaws. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, I think Billy Gunn becoming Mr. Ass was a big step backwards. Him being the badass was mm-hmm. objectively hysterical. Those are really different things. The yes. badass and Mr. Ass. <laughs> Recorded a whole song about he loves to love them and kick them. What? He's an ass man? Whoa. <laughs> an ass man? Huh. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're right. That was the, the two things that I thought about when you broached the outlaw subject was they... Beginning of 99 is when um, I think Road Dog went after the hardcore title, Billy Gunn went after the Intercontinental title, they had singles matches. I guess, the di- well, they wanted to do stuff with Billy Gunn, which, as far as I remember, was a huge success. Um, <laughs> but yeah, they reunite in the fall of 99, and then Billy gets hurt. I think you just, as we CGI'd out the Patriot, just have to pretend that whether DX breaks up, whether they turn heel or face, they pretend they stayed together the whole time. Um, and yeah, I try to think of who their greatest rival was, and it's like, maybe, 
Mankind and Kane. Uh, I thought it would have been cool in 98, which we'll surely get to in just a matter of weeks. But if they made like... <laughs> the, the, the pieces were in place and it never got there. If Bart Gunn and Jeff Jarrett had become like the inverse New Age outlaw evil doppelgangers. But they, they never did that. No, they did not. They had a new Midnight Express, but they did not do that. Oh, going back to Davy Boy Smith, is it not true? This is not mine, but is one of the greatest jokes in the history of people commenting on wrestling is that Bulldog and Neidhart in WCW were the old age in-laws. <laughs> That's right. That's incredible. That's very well done. That was good humor at the time. For uh, Right. That's a masterpiece. The, the internet, of, especially the internet of uh, 1998, much lower. Mm-hmm. Uh, now there's just like so much... Everyone's participating back then. Mm-hmm. It was much, much more select pool, much smaller pool. So, yes. excellent job. That That's out. what I thought about. Like, so uh, 98, 99, or I guess more 99. So, like, we're on these Delphi forums, right? <laughs> and there was the one forum that was like mostly normal people, certainly didn't agree or like with it, everybody. Um, and then there was the other one <laughs> from another website, and it had all the dumbass idiots. And then at that time, I was like, well, Okay, I'm just going to read this one with less idiots. And now, I guess on Twitter, and that's probably what's driven David A. Meltzer. So, broken is that, like, it's just everyone. Everyone collectively at once. And they will talk to you. And unless you change a few settings, you have to read it. And you're just like, wow. Okay. Okay. (laughs) I forget what I was talking about. Oh, yeah, 98 humor. So, yeah. Um, That's right. And the outlaws, the, the... top five even if it's like wwf thing it's weird because they're like orphaned in between two periods where there were multiple really over tag teams so they were just on an island by themselves them the headbangers who you video game guy knows were weirdly one of like the only eight people in the video (laughs) game that came out right attitude in uh i believe yes uh summer of 98 so i guess Uh they had I guess they it just happened to be programmed when they were tag champs, so they like right. gotta put these guys in. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. Yeah. What what should be their moveset for up plus circle? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Suplex. <laughs> Stage <Yes>. dive. <laughs> so anyway. Uh, yes. Oh, you didn't know your ass better call somebody. Um that they were extraordinarily over. That would be my final point on the New Age Outlaws is the response to that shtick is uh, yeah. unbelievable. And I went to the 2014 Royal Rumble, and that was an experience. And it began with the Outlaws winning the tag titles from, I think, Cody and Goldust. I believe I was supposed to. I just went to a random SmackDown. It was the night after, if you remember the big Daniel Bryan face turn on Raw with the, you know, the cage match with Bray Wyatt. And, or the, he ended up on top of the cage afterwards. I went to mm-hmm. a SmackDown taping the next night. And I think the outlaws were supposed to win the tag titles, but I got changed, which I always feel bad about because I think, um, was the, the rumble you were at, was that CM Punk's last stand? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. That, the timeline lines up. So I guess they just held it off a bit. So I could have seen that, but you did. So I guess, you know, between us, one wow. of us it live. Ships passing in the night. It was so I'm funny. that a roll. Sorry. That's a, I thought you would talk at length about the 2014 <laughs> SmackDown. <laughs> no, amazingly not. I will. I will say. Um, I just remember that night, like you know, the the shows taped and whatever they do the 
post uh, show thing for the fans, and it was CM Punk against all three members of the Shield, and he won. And afterwards, he's doing the walk around, high five, and everyone. And it's just weird to think back, like, you know, in in two months you are gone forever, <laughs> like you never return, mm-hmm. except on the bump or whatever. Yeah, it's not the bump, but he changed the culture, so I definitely <laughs> remember the name of that show. Uh, <laughs> All right, moving on. Um, I, don't I don't know. know. If you... I don't know. This isn't um, oral sessions, so no. we don't have to. <laughs> uh, I don't know if you believe this, but Jim Cornette did a rant, by which I mean what? He, had own, he, did, <laughs> he had his own segment on Raw. Uh, apparently, oh, he was, was doing, it about um, stuff he liked, or was he pissed? No, he was not pleased at uh, at, at anything. So apparently he was on Bite This. A question came in about the New World Order. He did a diatribe about them and got great reviews. So he got his own segment on Raw. He talked about the NWO, especially how Nash had no talent and uh, Six was only kept around because he puked on himself, made the others laugh, which was (laughs) funny. Six was signed in like three months. So I'm sure (laughs) that was amusing. And I believe this led to Sean and Triple H eating bananas on Raw because there was an old story about Jim and fruit. And um, yes. Yeah, Dave Meltzer smashed a banana in his hair. <laughs> I must have misread that story. <laughs> um, he also did one about uh, Phil Mushnick, about who the icon of wrestling was, which is less controversial. But, you know, he'd say nice things about people in WCW like Ric Flair, which is you know, not surprising. But, that made um, it real. Yeah. They should have Jim do this now. I'm sure he's got some things to say. And, uh, <laughs> the, uh, he's been on the, WWE programming within the last three years, I think. That Hall of Fame the, uh-huh. I mean, He should have done that in the speech and been like, yeah, Stan and Bobby were great, but I'm still saying Sean Wallman couldn't draw money if you did something with Fort Knox. I forget the line. <laughs> something like that. <laughs> they were chippy around this time, the, the WWF, because Vince would just rip on the Hogan-Piper cage match and <laughs> Hogan's latest film, too. So uh, everyone was just feeling a little punchy at this time in the Monday <laughs> Wars. Honestly, countering... It's a, it's a um, old age in laws level wordplay to counter Helena Cell with Age in the Cage. Yes. <laughs> Those were the only two good wrestling puns until um, the three way <laughs> champions match at Survivor Series two years ago, which was Nakamura versus AJ versus Roderick, and it was the King of Strong Styles match. <laughs> I don't remember that one. That is good. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway, oh, come on, we got ways to go. No, uh, <laughs> How can that be? <laughs> so, you know who came back was Mark Merrow. He had a, a new look. He cut his hair short, wore uh, boxing trunks. He was very mean to Sable, to be polite, and um, very heelish in general. He used a low blow, which JR kept calling a Galata, which was a reference to boxer Andrew Galata, who got DQ'd mm-hmm. against Riddick Bowe. And uh, he also debuted the Fireman's Carry into a cutter called the TKO, a name which has carried over to be the accepted name for the move, which I always appreciate, like the Codebreaker. No matter who does it, no matter what country, it's the Codebreaker. And same with the TKO. Code broken. Yeah, definitely the most (laughs) famous uh, letter's name with KO in it to ever come in wrestling. (laughs) But he was no longer a wild man. He hurt his knee and accordingly could not be so wild. Um, And he was now... Or at least soon to be marvelous. That's right. Yes, that's right. So plenty more with him coming up. So with the death of Brian Pillman, that ended the Marlena angle. So we got to sit down with Goldust, Marlena, and JR. 
Marlene is understandably overjoyed. She's like, oh, I cherish my child, my husband, my everything. <laughs> what a, I can laugh. What a again. lucky break for her. And Dustin's like, I can't do this anymore. You make me sick. You ruined my life. And I met someone else. So we were entering the, the Goldust uh, turn where he's an even huger weirdo than he was previously. Yeah, he stopped being Goldust. He was formerly known as that person. <laughs> um, this is where he wore he, F.U. on his cheeks in paint. Do you remember what that stood for? Uh, uh, um, I can name all 15 and without getting any wrong. <laughs> no, no, no. Wrong show. Wrong show. <laughs> Forever Unchained. That is correct, yes. Speaking of, um, uh, yeah, go ahead. Uh, I was just gonna say, speaking of returns, Jeff Jarrett came back, cut a promo on Eric Bischoff, and also ragged on Vince McMahon for the country music gimmick, which he would go back to in like six months. But uh, right. he also said Steve Austin was blasphemous for using the Bible to make money. <laughs> that line was possibly a mistake because apparently uh, <laughs> promised a feud with Austin, who nicked this, nixed this. I read a bunch of reports saying Austin didn't think Jarrett was on his level which was true. He was mad about the blasphemy line or he was mad. He made so little money working for Jeff's dad, but um, nevertheless, uh, Jeff would be repping the NWA in the months to come. Yeah. And not had been repping the NWO. That is strange that a WCW homegrown guy like the giant was the perfect next guy to join the um, NWO. And then a few weeks later, Jeff Jarrett came directly from WWF and was like, you know what I'm thinking? Horseman, baby. <laughs> really good fit from the guy who would spend all of 2000 and sometime after that, like dressed up in black and white, being a bad boy. All right. So Vader wrestled the British Bulldog in a random dog collar match on Raw. And afterwards, a fan ran in and attacked Francis and Lafon. So security tackled him. And Vincent JR said, They appreciate fan enthusiasm, but you cannot <laughs> jump in the. This guy earned himself a night in jail. This was the debut of, I don't know if, I wasn't sure if you would remember, it was Steve Blackman. I had, <laughs> I had no memory of this. I was like, what is happening? I don't remember him appearing. I don't remember him really leaving either. It's just those middle <laughs> years. I, I remember very, very vividly, but I don't remember Steve Blackman running in from the crowd. And, what about um, when he would hit people with sticks? When he would hit people with garbage can lids? <laughs> yeah, that really a lethal weapon. To return to uh, live uh, experiences, I was at a SmackDown taping in 2000 with Steve Blackman versus Chris Benoit. I think of Blackman. Um, Benoit tried to use the sticks, and <laughs> Blackman took them from him and went to throw them down. But I guess I don't know if he hit like a soft spot because they went flying oh. into the crowd, and I, I don't <gasps> know if they. Took someone out, but uh, yes, that uh, that that will certainly be one of my fondest memories of Steve Blackman, along wow. with his now, music. Don't start a spurless thing that will become like crystallized for the rest of time, which our friend Matt Forestine did because at a 2003 Summer SmackDown show, I think Vince McMahon had a cane for some reason at that point, and there was he took a bump or whatever, and it flew into the crowd, and then Matt in his report to the observer said um, he thought the cane had hit someone in the crowd because they were interviewing witnesses on camera and um, I guess to get a record of it. And then when the show aired, it found out they were not interviewing witnesses. They were just interviewing a very generic looking Billy Kidman. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, yeah, so uh, observer archives are through 2003. So you can go find that issue. And uh, be like, Dave is a liar. Dave is a 
the worst person of lies, and I'm so pissed. This is just more proof about what a true bastard he is. I like, um, they're like, you can't jump in the ring, you'll go to jail, and mm-hmm. also end up on Survivor Series because <laughs> Blackman replaced the Patriot. That is exactly how I know about this angle because they showed that recap before the Survivor Series match. So that's what I remember it from. That's good. Uh, we also had the debut of Don Callis as the Jackal, as the leader of the Truth Commission. So I guess the Commandant could assassinate it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, they, see, their plan went back all this time. So you think like uh, teenager Kenny Omega was like, take the, take the shot. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, I'll control yeah. Kurgan <laughs> That's step one <laughs> to take over the world of wrestling in 2020. Don Callis, one of the big power players in wrestling these days, which um, would not have guessed, and would not have guessed even he would do these interviews. He's like, "Oh yeah, I'm, I'm a retired kid. Like I got a I got a master's degree. I got a great job. You know, I'm done with wrestling." And now he is in the thick of it. So I, I guess he never really never really leave uh, the biz, as they say. Yeah, he finally fulfilled his 1998 dream of leading a stable with some bald creeps. <laughs> yes, this is probably the greatest form of the Truth Commission. I'd <laughs> oh, you know what this brings us to, Justin? Um, hmm. No. It's the Survivor Series 1997. Oh, uh, was that the one in Canada? Yes, it was. Um uh- Boy, reviewing the show, it's like reviewing Our American Cousin. <laughs> the play Lincoln was watching and he got assassinated because it's so intertwined with the terrible event. It feels kind of pointless, but um, we shall soldier on because we had a problem heading into yeah. the show. Teams uh, of four strive to endure. This is a big show. <laughs> Intercontinental <laughs> title up for grabs. Well, we had a, kind of another problem because with the champion leaving the territory, you think, well, drop the title right off into the sunset. I'll go back That's to the, the time-honored event. tradition. Yes. Hardigan refused to do the job in Montreal, saying he had never refused to do a job, but he wasn't going to lose on Sunday or Monday at the Raw tapings in Ottawa. He agreed to put Michaels over in Madison Square Garden on November 15th, Springfield, or anywhere else, and said he put over Vader, Shamrock, Mankind, Undertaker, or even Steve Lombardi, who earned a title shot at MSG by winning a battle royal at the last show, but they dropped that idea almost immediately. But there had been talk of giving Lombardi the match after all. McMahon then made legal threats to Hart if he wouldn't lose in Montreal. Hart talked about the clause in his contract, giving him reasonable creative control. But McMahon claimed that refusing to drop the title in Montreal wasn't reasonable. The two argued about the finish in Montreal and the legalities of their respective positions all day Sunday and well into the night, before finally agreeing to do a DQ finish in Montreal. Then in Springfield, in the Final Four match, Michaels would win the title. Brett would then go out on Raw on 12-8 in Portland, Maine, and give a farewell interview as a babyface to the fans, and put the company and McMahon over as big as possible. He would apologize to the American fans and try to reasonably explain his actions as a way to end his 14-year association with the WWF on the highest note possible, something largely unheard of in pro wrestling, so that all parties and the fans could come out of it and his legacy with the company with a good feeling. Technically, there was a problem in that his WCW contract began on 12-1. So Hart called Bischoff, who, the, who, was, who had presented this scenario, agreed to allow him to work through 12-8 with Titan. And that may have happened, if not for the pesky internet, because, back to the Observer, 
McMahon called Hart and said that Michaels had agreed to the previous day's scenario, but now he had changed his mind. He said the news was out everywhere and that Brett had to drop the, t- drop the belt before Monday because he couldn't have Bischoff go on television on November 10th and announce the signing of the, his world champion while he still had the belt. Hart said he would get Bischoff to postpone the announcement, but with Bischoff on a hunting trip all week in Wyoming, Hart couldn't get a hold of him. McMahon then asked Hart to drop the title on 11-8 at the house show in Detroit. Hart again refused, feeling the way everything had been built up. He wanted the match with Michaels, which in the wake of all the insider publicity was building up a life of its own like no match in recent history of wrestling. To not come off as anticlimactic, and for that to happen, he needed to go into Montreal as the champion. He said he would drop the title anytime after 11-12, suggesting he do it at the house shows in Youngstown, Ohio on 11-13, Pittsburgh on 11-14, or in Madison Square Garden if they wanted it that soon, rather than waiting for 12-7. So ultimately, they decided to do a DQ and figure it out later. And Vince certainly figured it out. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, end the show's DQ. Punch China, huge pop. Um, and that more or less makes the show okay. Brett goes out on Ron the next line. I thought it was a good promo, actually. Like, he's ne- like not a gift of gab, but like really sincere emotional promos. And, and his, his promo in, in Ottawa, was it? On the Raw after Survivor Series, he relinquishes the title. He sort of lets bygones be bygones with Sean. And then um, you're like, wow, the journey of the hitman. That was one of the really great moments in, in Raw history. Yes, you might uh, think that would have occurred. Uh, it's sadly not what we got. <laughs> I was thinking when you said it at the um, beginning of the summary, the what the angle, if like Lombardi had beat Brett for the belt and then dropped it to Sean, isn't that more or less what they did with McIntyre, Lashley, and The Miz? That's <laughs> how that went, yes. So that it's not I mean, reverse precedented. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, isn't and then Vince immediately broke up uh, DX. <laughs> <laughs> they're holding down your heat it is amazing how we got to this um, everything that had to happen to get to this level here with you know <laughs> Brett was the champ and Vince didn't take the title off of him after mm-hmm. you know he's like alright you can go look for other options but you can hold on to the belt just in case <laughs> that the show was in Canada and not say Topeka Kansas that Sean was the number one contender. It's just like an amazing confluence of events here. It's they're just, making a documentary about Bret Hart and about his somewhat interesting life as a professional wrestler. <laughs> yes. And um, he wasn't even the champion for most of the year. And they went from world champion Undertaker, who then immediately feuded with, uh, I believe, it was Shawn Michaels. So. There was probably a point there to go from A to B without B H in in between. Yes. Yeah. So, I can mean, you imagine if the the Undertaker was cost the World Wrestling Federation Championship inside Hell in a Cell when the Demon Kane came <laughs> Tombstone? Him? That'd be a powerful angle. That certainly would be. Yes. Wow. Then you have Shawn Michaels, heel champion, defending against Canadian hero Bret Hart going into Survivor Series. That's a dynamic situation. Uh, alas, it was not. <laughs> um, what do you do? Ring the bell or something? Mm, well, we'll yes, get to that sorry. in a second. Um, spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> Brent Sean is actually a very good match. It's listed as 13 minutes, but they brawl outside the ring for like seven minutes and then wrestle the rest. And they were, you know, <laughs> it's so funny. These guys hate each other, but like, you know, you still take care of each other when you're in the ring. You don't try mm-hmm. to get a cheap shot in. 
which you know it's the professional thing to do it's just always weird to me that it happens like that you know that's just what you do so and edge etc yeah so it's very intense and the feeling of dread just built as it goes on uh i don't even know if i need to recap this there's a ref bump sean applies the sharpshooter Earl Hebner rings the bell. Everyone's confused. Brett spits on Vince. Sean storms out, and the show ends early. This is still pretty early in the month. This is not near Thanksgiving for Survivor Series, so I was still at school, still had the inter- and still had you know the internet. It just exploded. Like trying, everyone tried to figure out what happened. There was a lot of inf- misinformation floating around. Like, oh my God, Vince handed the belt to Sean, or Vince rang the bell himself. And were you? Watching this show live, do you or did you learn this by the WWF magazine as well? That was my mem- like wrestling was not my favorite thing at this point in time, but I was still paying attention. And the first I saw of it was when the NWO sang the national Canadian national anthem on Nitro. So I don't know if that was that very next night. I guess if I was doing what I should do to prepare for the show, I <laughs> believe yeah, it was. Yes, I do believe. Yeah, so that's I. I sort of like. I was also busy. Look, Joe, I was taking an AP schedule of classes at that point in time, so did not have as much downtime to commit to uh, theorizing about wrestling angles. And to be honestly, it wasn't until 1999 that I got on your WrestleManiacs type sites that would let you learn the true nature of this business. Uh, um, so yes, that was my thing, and uh, more or less what I said before about being like, "Well, that's weird," but I guess this is a thing that's happening. I feel sad. Is that this emotion? Um, but I've seen a number of people go to WCW already. Mm. Even Razor Ramon. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. So that I, all, everything I said about Bulldog in One Night Only, where you try to litigate this by modern standards, is just so misguided. Like, why did, why did everyone involved just not care? Yeah, you're <laughs> yeah. right. <laughs> that would have some issues, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel everyone kind of knows the story. Brett punches out Vince backstage, and that's it for him in the company for quite a while. You know, he Brett smashed such... up all the monitors, and he, yeah. he sky-painted WCW backwards. <laughs> yeah, I think people got the point. And, it was the first um, time that aired on um, the like Lonely Road of Faith video? Oh, maybe. I mean, I know Confidential a... did a... Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. The, the, yeah, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah, but and it may have aired in Wrestling with Shadows for all I know. I don't oh, remember. yes, yeah. <laughs> but uh, Brett was gone. Like, we we talked about him on every show <laughs> of this stupid series, and we're not going to talk about him anymore. Joe versus the this. World series rap for Brett the Hitman Hart. I know we <laughs> talked about his 1990 Royal Rumble performance, came in, did some punches, etc. So, yeah, congratulations, Brett Hart. You were. In my opinion, Bret Hart was really good, Joe. I don't know what you think. Yeah, I think I, think I, I would agree with that. So, I, I guess we'll move on. I don't want to spend uh, all day on this, but there'll be more to come on The Hitman, amazingly, in this episode. But under that, Stone Cold beat Owen Hart for the IC title in four minutes. Austin's still not in great shape. Owen was coming off a concussion, so that was basically nothing. Kane Mankind was good. This is when they did the red light. <laughs> Sorry, uh, I had a delayed re- reaction to your concussion. Thing. Yeah, yeah I, you're right. It's, uh, it's go ahead. Like, back then, it's just like, oh, you know, it's just like, ah, he'll be fine. Splash some water on your face. Yes. Eat a uh, banana. 
Kane Mankind was good. This is when they did the red light gimmick for Kane matches, which made it look different, but hard to see when they were outside the ring, which was pretty frequent. But Mankind took some big bumps, uh, went through a table, got slammed from the top rope to the floor, which was a bad idea. But uh, Kane beat him. You know, it was good. good win. Someone beat The Undertaker, Kane beat them. So I always appreciate productive booking. That's what this was. Mm-hmm. And we also had elimination matches on this show, thank God. Uh, LOD, Shamrock, Ahmed versus the Nation of Domination. It was, uh, it was pretty good. You know, Farouk got bounced early, so D'Lo and Rocky got a lot of time to shine. You could tell they were both really improving. Shamrock made a comeback down 2-1, ended up winning, so that was nice. I think Jim uh, Ross already at this point, and again, a good guest slash co-host would have watched this to know, but I believe it's here where Jim Ross, when Rock and Shamrock are wrestling, he's like, it's the future of the business, these two guys. And it's like, you're mostly right. <laughs> you know, you've got, you got one part really right, so I think mm-hmm. that, you know, that makes up for it. We that was cool. Had... I think this would be, sorry to interrupt, one of the last times where, like, just... Yes, you have a four-man group. That's perfect for a four-man elimination match. It came together so beautifully. <laughs> There's no Degeneration X Survivor Series tag match and so on going forward. Unless you count um, teaming up with Punk and I think the heart. Right. I don't <laughs> yes. know if that counts as adjacent DX. <laughs> that is a techno team DX where they bridge <laughs> the generations. Um, yes. Now, 98 was the tournament. And I guess Triple H had a knee injury, but there could have been somehow. Well, yeah, that's an important show for Rock, but you see what I mean. Some kind of Nation versus DX Survivor Series. This is the point I'm making. We had the Nation, we had a pay-per-view about teams, and uh, what a nice thing. We had a previous Survivor Series here where there were these groups called The Hurt Business and uh, The Retribution. and Like, why would they be in a big elimination match where a team tries not to get eliminated? <laughs> So I'm just I'm looking back at 2000 because I don't think it was officially DX. Yeah, they had reunited just before that show. Um, but uh, yes, there's some very hodgepodgey teams. Uh, as Billy Gunn, China, K. Quick, and the Road Dog. So probably as close as we got to it. Oh, I'm sorry, I was thinking 99. Yeah, and they did fight the Radicals, who's a legitimate unit. And they did a um, DX versus Radicals tag match with Triple H and not X Pac on. Um, the, the Raw in November, the same night as the 2000 election. Um, so, But then Triple H turns heel at the end of that night. Ah. Oh, yeah, I did have an almost genuine point, um, which is like, okay, so Steve Austin broke his neck and can work a four-minute match. What if there was like a faction of Canadian guys that he could have been protected in a tag match against? But no, he didn't do that either. <laughs> That would have been a cool match. If it, it's the same thing with like Austin has partners who he hates, so he could have like stunned all seven people in that match. <laughs> uh, we also had Team USA of Vader, Steve Blackman, Goldust, and Mark Merrow versus Team Canada of Bulldog, Anvil, Furnace, and Lafon. Only one of whom was born in Canada. <laughs> um, they just really liked the whole Canadian vibe, I think. Yeah. <laughs> um, when did the like Furnace and Lafon should be in Hard Foundation stuff start? I don't really remember. Um, it never happened though. Maybe it was no, not it even did. like until this show. Yeah, kind of. I guess that's where it really built up momentum, and right when the mm-hmm. Foundation <laughs> ended. So, but yeah. So here's my pitch for Survivor Series: it's it's Brett and Sean on top, and then all team matches. So there is an Austin team, and it's 
dude love and two other guys and then there's a mankind team versus a cane team and then i guess there would be like a cactus jack team and a triple h team and so yes he's you picture your coliseum video box and on the back you have those nice little pictures of four teams and it's fully all three guys is, is on this show what we did have was uh, Monos Barikawas. Oh, go yeah. ahead. <laughs> we had Team USA, of Vader, Steve Blackman, Goldust, and Mark Merrow. Oh, yeah, that's right. Canada. Uh, Team Which Canada. also would have made more sense if there was a guy who was like literally called the Patriot who wanted yes, to lead an American team. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's where Blackman got counted out. They made it sound like he didn't know the rules, which <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't seem that hard to figure out. You got to get back in the ring. But he was like fighting guys outside the ring when he got counted out. So I don't really. I thought that was bad. He was trying to fight back into the crowd and just sit down as a fan. <laughs> Never mind. I already have a headache. You know what's weird? Is it something like Steve Blackman was trained in Calgary or something like that, to where he has more Canadian affiliation than most of the members of Team Canada. That's true. I suppose so. Uh, Goldust refused to tag in. He walked out on his team, and the end saw Bulldog hit Vader with a ring bell for the pin. We somehow both the ref in the ring and the one on the floor both missed. And uh, also it for Davey Boy Smith till uh, till 99. He gets a pair of jeans. <laughs> Gem boy. <laughs> uh, the opener was a tag team match, meaning it was comprised of tag teams, uh, Survivor Series teams. The Headbangers and Blackjacks against the Godwins and the not-quite-named New Age Outlaws. Um, this match stunk, too. Like No one would tag in. And it was like a gauntlet match. Like once you were in, you were in until you got eliminated. And the Outlaws won when Billy missed the top rope leg drop by like two feet. Which nowadays would get you banished to main event. <laughs> Don't slap your leg when you're doing the fame answer. <laughs> also, the crowd was screaming the F slur at Billy Gunn so loudly. Like this will not see the light of day. On this. Don't worry about it. Uh, <laughs> that's, a, that's a freebie for you right there, interns. And, uh, Last, and certainly least, there was DOA versus the Truth Commission, which only went 10 minutes. There were four, <laughs> elimina- <laughs> there were four eliminations via sidewalk slam, three from Kirk, and, and I think Sniper did one as well. Like, what the heck, man? Like, do something else. And uh, Jackal did commentary. He got eliminated early, and he ran over and did commentary, which was probably the highlight. But uh, Kurgan was the sole survivor. Well, I picture the commission like walking in unison in their military training, and it's like go across the monkey bars, stop and give me twenty, get up, side slam a guy. So that's part of their training. <laughs> I guess that's they just reverted back to their uh, basic training. Yes, exactly. It's programming. All right, they're basically the Winter Soldiers. <laughs> the Winter Soldiers. <laughs> uh, they were the Winter Soldiers too. Congrats! Yeah, a Winter Soldier is you. <laughs> all right onwards um so after the montreal screw job closed the book on bret hart's career he was never spoken of again on tv <laughs> just kidding he, <laughs> he was the main character on tv for the next month uh they of course re-aired clips of the screw job uh, you know like see for yourself what happened but the main thrust was the two-part sit down with vince mcmahon titled why brett why vince had a mark <laughs> on his face pretty much said wrestling was fake he's like there's a time-honored tradition in this business that if someone is leaving they show the proper respect for the organization and its superstars Brett didn't want to honor that tradition which i don't know what that means if wrestling is real like he did defend his title 
Yeah, this would be very normal now where on Raw, they'll be like, wow, you, you got to hope that Orton does the right thing here and trades the belt with McIntyre to get him over. But in 1997. <laughs> A little different, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Remember when Bill yeah. Simmons was doing guest commentary and he was like, this guy deserves a push. Well, they were like, shut the fuck up, sports guy. <laughs> uh, Vince also Sorry to said, crab on our podcast or competition. <laughs> Joe versus the world is a free-flowing conversation that occasionally touches on mature themes. Um, yes. Um, yes. Sorry, what were you saying? I was just going to oh, say... Yeah. Oh, yeah. His, yeah. his rhetorical strategy is word, um, 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 <laughs> word, Brett, word, because he will return to that with the really the thesis statement of the interview, which is that... Um, or Brett, word, Brett. Brett screwed Brett. <laughs> Not Vince. Um, he also said it's just too damn bad that in the end, Brett really wasn't the best there is, best there was, and best there ever will be. He had the opportunity to live up to that, and he failed. And you can tell what really bothered Vince was Brett punching him out. He's like, I knew it was coming. I allowed it. Mm-hmm. If it was a fair fight, it'd be another story. It's like, come on, dude. You're like, <laughs> like 55. He gave him one to let him feel better. <laughs> His son Shane is the greatest challenge that The Undertaker ever faced in the history of WrestleMania. <laughs> uh, speaking yep. of Shane, um, he's like, he did that to me in front of my son. It's like, you know, <laughs> Shane was 27. He wasn't five years old. I'm sure that's not good to see your dad get punched out, but it's not, you know, it's not traumatized a child. <laughs> Amazingly, fans were not overly sympathetic to Vince McMahon in this. <laughs> Coming out of right. this. Isn't that the insane bonkers thing is locate yourself in this time and like this is the interview that Vince does to explain to the WWF universe that like he did what he needed to do and he's a heroic promoter. An interview to babyface him. <laughs> the most uh the thing that he runs with to become the despicable boss who makes people lose <laughs> when they're not supposed to. And when he sat down to do this interview, it was like to explain why he saved the WWF. <laughs> Fans were like, I don't think so. They sided with the workers, not management. That also, yes, it kicks off the thing now where it's like, why don't the fans behave their, the way they're supposed to? It's like extras in a crowd for Dixie Carter. And it's like, do you think it, it may be because the way that wrestling presented changed now to where it's wrestlers versus promotion and the sympathy that you feel for people is not because like, Someone hit them with a chair a bunch of times and made them hurt, and it's they're like manipulated and not allowed to win matches. Do you think maybe that has anything to do with it? <laughs> that might tie in. So after Survivor Series, Brett confronted Sean, who swore he had nothing to do with it. He didn't know. He was disgusted. He didn't want the belt that way. He would refuse to bring the belt out or say anything bad about Brett. So the next night he came out and so said he made Brett quit, drove him out of the company, and all his <laughs> friends would beat him up in WCW. And um, then on the 24th of November, Sean got all serious, saying Brett was screwed. He deserved better. He was in contact with Brett. He was still under contract. They would settle things once and for all. So we got lengthy shots of a limo outside, like, is Brett Harden there? But <laughs> when you know it, it was a little person in a Brett mask who looked absolutely terrifying. <laughs> it was the worst part of this whole thing. Then they beat him up and slapped a WCW sticker on him. So, yep. Well, the way you're trying to rebook things, that could have been your light heavyweight champion. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't it a weird rock, paper, scissors of like, 
Um, the screw job could not be a fast count because they had to give Sean plausible deniability, so Brett didn't beat the Uckfay out of him. On, yeah. <laughs> but like, also the idea that Brett, the world champion wrestler, popped fifty-five-year-old Vince McMahon with one punch and knocked him out. Like, that's just no way, no freaking way. <laughs> Have you seen how strong Vince is? <laughs> anyway, this all brought out Jim Diethard, who was not pleased. And Sean talked about everyone abandoned him, offered Jim a spot in DX, and Jim, the dumbest human being ever. <laughs> After helping Sean beat Vader, you may not believe this. This DX turned on the anvil and stomped him into the mat. The next week, Jim tried to get revenge in a match against Triple H, only to be hit with a chair pinned pedigreed and have WCW spray painted on his back. The observer said. Jim wasn't under contract, so I don't know why he would show up if this was the case. But uh, I think Brett's book said Jim was fired after this angle, so either way, a little little icky to me. Like I don't, I didn't. Um, they're like, well, he's going to WCW. We got to cool down Jim the Anvil Neidhart before he shows up. <laughs> and it's not like I don't know. It's just this felt really icky to me. I don't know. I'm confused because I assume Jim Neidhart also had reasonable creative control in his contract. And like, <laughs> I don't think he did. I don't, I don't know if he had a contract. If he did, maybe uh, he would have. I would have negotiated a little bit. Um, I think for Neidhart, though, that is enough to get you in the Wikipedia article for a list of every DX member, <laughs> along with Hornswoggle. You know, if that ever comes up on Five Star Match Game, I'll be sure to. Oh, it's Matt, the one who figures out those tricksy ones. That's true. I'm like, Undertaker versus Undertaker, what? <laughs> now, in terms of people actually in the company, uh, Ken Shamrock had a match with Sean. That was the last Raw before Survivor Series. That was the main event. He won by DQ when DX ran in. The night after Survivor Series, he interrupted Sean's spiel, demanding a title match. Slaughter came out, so the match would happen at a later date, and Shamrock would take on Triple H that night. So during that match, Sean interfered, clocked Ken with Roots Halliburton. Triple H covers the ref counts two, and the show goes off the air with the assumption that Triple H won. Only to find out next week, Slaughter stopped the count, which led to a shoving match with Sean. So Slaughter shoves Sean, bleh, uh, led to Ken covering Sean while Slaughter counted three, if you can make sense of that. And this led to a slightly memorable skit where Sean was in a wheelchair, and Triple H twists his ankle like. 720 degrees to show Sean's incredible pain tolerance, which I feel is kind of memorable. Like, you know, you're probably like, oh, yeah, that happened. But not exactly a killer feud here. Um, <laughs> Montreal. It, it's just mostly something that shows up in every DX retrospective clip, along with them with the Sergeant Slaughter windshield wiper glasses and them doing the State of the Union thing. Something with hot dogs. Uh, yeah. Honestly, Joe, these guys were being completely out of control, rebellious jerks, in my opinion. Speaking as such, um, yes, the <laughs> having their problems with Commissioner Slaughter. <laughs> they called him out on the 17th. Triple H made a lot of insinuations about his wife using army speak. <laughs> Mrs. Slaughter. Yes, and um, Sarge hit him and DX beat up Slaughter and left him in a pile of toilet paper. Sarge cut a lengthy promo the next week talking about dead bodies and gut wounds, and he challenged Triple H to a boot camp match at the pay-per-view. I don't know why Sarge was featured so much, but, I mean, they were really just killing time until the rumble, it feels like, and then they could get going. And, you know, the closing angle before the pay-per-view was Slaughter having Triple H in the Cobra Clutch, and Shamrock had Michaels in the ankle lock, and I think I think Neidhart was, like, holding China at bay, which was... <laughs> 
again, this one, like I kind of remember. So a cool new baby face stable. They're doing <laughs> just fine without yeah. Brett. <laughs> Who needs them? <laughs> now, speaking of DX, uh, Rick Rude appeared on the November 17th edition of Raw, which is not normally news, but he had also appeared earlier in the night on the live Nitro. Rude joined the NWO and stressed that Shawn Michaels did not defeat Bret Hart. Rude was actually not under contract with the WWF for all the times he appeared. But according to The Observer, as soon as he got on TV, he called up Bischoff to open up a dialogue and figured this was the perfect time. So the next week on Raw, they had Harvey Whippleman spoof Rude doing a shtick. The announcer saying the act wasn't working to begin with and DX kicked him out. Best they could do under the circumstances, but uh, kind of embarrassing for, uh, for the Fed there. <laughs> and somehow that has never occurred again. In terms of someone showing up. Yes. I don't know how you would. Let's see. No. There's no real way. Someone have to be on Dynamite, I guess. <laughs> or um, on NXT and then show up on. No, that wouldn't work either. Damn it. I'm, well, essentially, what I'm trying to do is set up a scenario for Andrade or Christian <laughs> to have done, but I can't retrofit it. So, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. I mean, you could have. Dynamite does tape. I, I don't yeah. know what does as well. So, it, something feasible, but I feel like. Now you would just edit that. Like, you would yeah. know when you edit the, the tape. So I don't... Mm-hmm. This was clearly a one and done in terms of this ever happening. Someone would already have an Instagram picture with uh, Rick Rude backstage at Nitro and being like, at Ravishing One, what are you doing here? <laughs> uh, the undisputed highlight of the month was the Austin Rock feud over the IC belt. Rocky stole the belt, declared himself the people's champ, and it was like all of a sudden, boom, he was the wrong <laughs> He like he called himself that. He the people's champ catchphrase, the Yuridagi. The people's elbow to zero reaction, which was kind of funny. This was the the beeper three sixteen segment where Austin sent a message to the Rock's beeper while standing right behind him and let him know he was there. I don't know if I can do justice to the Rock's facial expression at this time, but this was um it's like, Oh yeah, we're getting there. <laughs> like we're almost there. Yeah, I don't have a really insightful or amusing thing to say other than like rock. This is only, what, four months after he turned heel and joined the nation? And now, like, then it just, what if I said that The Rock says things? Would that be good? <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of the final piece of the puzzle, because, um, yeah, like, <laughs> he has a book coming out in two years, like, talking about how great he is. It's just mm-hmm. kind of crazy to think about. So, with Billy Gunn and Jesse James, they interfered against the LOD at Survivor Series and had stolen their shoulder pads. So they originally announced a tag title match at the next pay-per-view, but then they just did it on the November 24th Raw, with the caveat the LOD couldn't wait, and the Proto-Noage Outlaws won after a chair shot, and then running out of the building, which Dave thought was a spoof of Montreal, but Dave thought about that a lot of stuff about about Raw. uh, See, like, Rey Mysterio and his son, who are about to have their most meaningful moment as a father and son, should not feel bad, because it's perfectly normal for the pay-per-view tag title match to get moved to TV. (laughs) Yeah, over the next uh, couple of weeks, the Outlaws called the Legion of Doom the OLD because they were so ancient. Oh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) No. For the record, Hawk was 40 and Animal was 37, so they would (laughs) just be starting to get their pushes now in uh, in WWE. They would be sitting in the crowd at NXT being like, that's right, I'm here to make an impact. (laughs) (laughs) Sit next to LA Knight, like, yep, we're here now. <laughs> I've got my sights set on the NXT. What's the secondary NXT belt called? The North American title. Thank you, yes. 
Justin, did you know who Butterbean was before he started appearing on WWF television? Well, he's basically the toughest puncher in the world. <laughs> he, Not uh, a big baby in a diaper. <laughs> <laughs> he started With appearing the most in the intimidating name. <laughs> he did start appearing in crowds and getting interviewed, which did not sit well with legit boxer Mark Merrow. He got in Butterbean's face, um, accused him of ogling Sable, and challenged him to a fight. So we got a, a boxing match at the pay-per-view. And I think, boxer um, versus wrestler? <laughs> I think wrestling fans remember Butterbean knocking Bartgun out. So they think he's, you know, at least fairly legit. But he's he not an intimidating figure in his Cosby sweaters. And, you know, he's like... <laughs> I wasn't looking at Sable. Like his interviews were not. Um... Who me? <laughs> I'm just a little boy. <laughs> I guess that is the ominous part of this story: is that he signed a two pay per view contract. Yes, that's true. And that bill would come due for Mr. Barton. Yes. Um, if oh. only he'd gone with my evil New Age Outlaws idea instead. <laughs> that's true. It would have better for him. Around this time, Sable was wearing glasses, like she was covering up her eyes, and you'd watch this, like, are they doing uh, a domestic violence angle? But it turns out she was uh, kicked by a horse, which is a legit story, and, you know, they, they said as such, but it's weird that happened to Sable, who was, you know, doing an angle with a mean man who was very <laughs> short with her. Also, Sunny had a broken foot when it was stepped on by a horse, so there are a lot of horse <laughs> problems in the Fed around this time. Oh, my God. Someone shoot that horse. <laughs> <laughs> that horse. Uncle have to go home again. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff Jarrett did an angle where he wouldn't wrestle because he was supposed to get a catered meal and bottled water per his contract. Apparently, another shot at Brett. So I don't know. And he was refused to wrestle Crush and Ahmed Johnson, who he called a water retaining idiot, which I think is a steroid reference. I guess um, so. Yeah. Finally, Slaughter confronted Jarrett and said he lined up a top-quality opponent at the pay-per-view, so he would go one-on-one with The Undertaker at the (laughs) pay-per-view. And um, this is... I remember, like, I had my mind the nickname of Aztec Warrior for Jeff Jarrett because he was wearing these coats with, like, these (laughs) Aztec designs. And I was delighted this was actual... Not his official nickname, but online this was his... Like, you could look up Aztec Warrior Jeff Jarrett Mm -hmm. and you get a, a good look at him. At his garb at this time. Right. Didn't I I don't know if I should credit Christopher Robin Zimmerman as a very influential person of writing wrestling jokes at that time. Or it was just like common RSPW in joke type stuff. But yeah, Aztec Warrior was a, a thing for sure. So uh we had a tournament for the light heavyweight title kicking off and you know the talent was solid. It was uh Takamichinoku super crazy. Aguila, the future S.A. Rios, Brian Christopher, Devin Storm, Flash Flanagan, Scott Taylor, and Eric Shelley. But the crowds so were at best stacked, man. Yeah, but the crowds were at best polite during these. And the the WWF crowds always cared more about star power than action. Where if you worked hard in WCW, they at least gave you a chance. And there was always this feeling like, you know, the they were just doing this to keep up with WCW and the cruiserweights. Like if WCW Never went down this road. It's not like Vince said, like, we need Flash Flanagan, pal. <laughs> uh, anyway, Taka beat Aguila in the semis. Well, Kane attacked Scott Taylor, so Christopher got a bye to the finals. And the heel getting a bye is a staple of wrestling tournaments. But doing it in this manner when you're trying to establish a division was probably not that helpful. Right. Southern heel Brian Christopher, he doesn't deserve this belt. <laughs> yeah. 
how cheatery. <laughs> and uh, but you're you're right. Like there, if there's a um, WCW match on Nitro that gets time with like not even Ray, but like La Parka, Silver King, Damien, El Dandy, two other guys, and they do a Lucha Six Man, the crowd would be going like, "Yay, I'm excited by this." Yes, but in the bad, it's just like, "Yay, you know, good for you." I think doesn't Tajiri do a, a TV match around this time too? So it was yeah. a really lo- a loaded light heavyweight division. Yeah, I mean the the WWF ring is so huge as well. It's just like not extra conducive to these kind of fast paced matches. Mm-hmm. So it's just I don't know. Thank God they straightened that out. And we have you know hot two hundred five live. That's yeah. your favorite show. It seems like it's still even that has been somewhat ruined by Peacock because if you don't watch the original airing, it's not uploaded for a month. It's on Hulu. So, you know, I have Hulu. I can watch it that way. But still, it's like, must must they take everything good? Yeah, people definitely want to sit down to watch that show live. I mean, it's right there in the name, I guess. But yeah, how it's so meant to be. just trying to stick to that. Oh, my God. Wouldn't wrestling be better if Kota Ibushi had won the Cruiserweight Classic and become oh, the inaugural God. WWE Cruiserweight Champion? Would he have been eaten by a shark? <laughs> Probably likely. Feels that way. All right, uh, last note before the pay-per-view. Vader was not too pleased with Goldust abandoning him at Survivor Series, so he powerbombed him the next night on Raw. They were supposed to have a match the next week, but Goldust tried to feign an injury and attacked Vader with a hammer. The next week, Goldust came out in a wheelchair wheeled by a nurse, saying he was a paraplegic now. Vader came out skeptical of this diagnosis, only to have rubbing alcohol thrown in his eyes by the nurse, who turned out to be Luna Vachon. I didn't remember this skit with the nurse, so I was surprised seeing this. It was well done. And kick off a very strange run in Goldust. <laughs> Even stranger than normal for Goldust. Yes, that was the lady that Goldust was talking about when he dumped yep. Marlena. So that brings us to In Your House Degeneration X, which has to be one of the least critically considered pay-per-views of all time. Like, <laughs> Not a lot of podcast recaps about it. It's that dark period after Montreal, but also right before business really exploding, so everyone just kind of ignores it. The general consensus is it's not very good, and I would I would agree with that. When you have eight matches and four of them ended DQs, including two of the four <laughs> title matches, it's clear not a lot of thought went into this one. And uh, it is funny that the pay-per-view based around the NWO earlier this year was also bad, so maybe giving heel factions their own show just isn't a palpable idea. <laughs> Um, yeah, a year later would be rock bottom. And yes. so I wonder what December 99 could have been. I guess like Game Boy, probably, <laughs> by that point, based on who the hill guy was. Or they were Degeneration X again, so they could have gone back to that name. Yeah, I suppose there was like Revenge of the Taker. I'm struggling to think of any more. I guess Cold Day in Hell is also Undertaker Man related. But whatever. Did you ever play TNM the Wrestling Simulator? Because my favorite thing to do would be create a DX NWO group and a Heart Foundation Benoit and Jericho group and then really, truly settle this issue. Oh, wow. No, I can't say I've ever done that. (laughs) TNM, in abbreviation for the Wrestling Simulator. (laughs) Invented by Oliver Kopp, who knows, famously. Yes, he still knows. (laughs) So the main event of this show was Sean Shamrock. They went about 18 minutes. It was pretty good. But Shamrock wasn't ready for a main event at this point. I don't think he ever got another one, actually. So nope. I guess the timing was never right. 
there was a weird spot where Shamrock was like running the ropes. It looks like he like snapped his neck on the top rope and he just fell over. And Sean's like, ugh. But and Sean worked hard. At the end, Shamrock had the ankle lock and China and Triple H run in for the DQ. Like, I don't know what else you do. I don't know what <laughs> the match you would put on. So it's like, ugh. Interestingly, this took place in Springfield, Massachusetts, which was kind of odd because Mania was in Boston, you know, three months later. It's weird they. But, I mean, Mania was always clearly going to sell out, and I think the show sold out as well, so it didn't matter. But I did not attend this one. Western Mass is, is um, <laughs> far away, and I was not, like, the biggest WWF fan at this time. Coming off <laughs> Montreal, it was not like, shut up and take my money, like, <laughs> situation like that. So, um, I think I do also, hopefully it's a true memory, remember Shamrock either, like, blowing or mistiming a hip toss and getting one of those Shawn Michaels telltale faces of frustration that didn't become as infamous as like the vader stomp thing um yeah i i guess the the pay-per-view main event you probably wanted for this show was Shawn michaels versus ken shamrock versus undertaker versus bret hart in a fatal four-way match <laughs> yeah, I suppose so. uh, nice. yeah do you think that would have been better than the february fatal four-way from earlier that year probably been on like close to the same level probably on par yeah hmm. but yeah this is yeah, I guess there's no time, even though all of the TV was set up um, for Bret Hart-based stuff, for Owen Hart to be ready for this match. But that was, if you're putting puzzle pieces together, Owen never gets his actual program with Sean because Sean breaks his back in the next month. So find a reason to pretend it was here. Yeah, uh, afterwards. Oh, uh, yeah, I'm giving a spoiler. Go ahead. <laughs> it's quite all right. Sean was posing, and who should run in but Owen Hart to knock him off the apron through a table? Laid in some punches until Triple H chased him off through the crowd, and Sean sold this huge by getting up and posing to end the show. But at least Owen got the huge angle of losing to Triple H at WrestleMania. So, well, well the- like he did win the European title from like Triple H Gold Dust or something <laughs> from like someone that. pretending to be Triple H. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also had Austin and Rock, which is um really Austin versus the NOD. Austin drove his truck down to the ring. This is a match where he backdropped D'Lo from the ring onto the hood. You see mm-hmm. a lot of video packages. Uh, Rock takes over. We got a 316 chant, which was not something we heard really then or later. And, and finally recorded it and put it in Warzone. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when did they chant, uh, Kane lives? <laughs> I don't remember that. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe they just kind of. You know, Kane chant, and then maybe someone lives. I don't know. With someone else, they spliced them together. <laughs> it was a, a Liv Morgan chant. <laughs> Austin accidentally They were chanting, the um, Oliver knows, and they took the Liv part. <laughs> Austin accidentally stuns the ref. Rock tries to use brass knocks, but Austin stuns him again, and the ref counts three, and Austin gets his physical title back. Only five, like five, six minutes long, but my favorite thing on the show, because it's Rock and Austin doing Rock and Austin things. Yes. Um, I've been unconsciously spinning around in a desk chair and realize it may be making noise. So if that's been happening, I'm sorry. And uh, you can see a lot of people tape podcasts now on Zoom. And we don't do that because I like to spin around in the chair. Um, yes, I at the beginning of the show, I talked about title vacancies and stuff and they annoyed me. And so my other thing here is like when when Austin broke his neck and they kept telling him to vacate the Intercontinental title, what if he just refused now i guess at the time you don't know they didn't know when he would be back that he'd be back by november but like say austin just doesn't 
give them back the belt, and then uh, the thing that you talk about. Uh, wait, are we covering tomorrow's Raw or is that the end of the show? Uh, this will be the end of the show, so okay, we can so touch on. He, he just he, he, he's like, you want the belt? Fine, I throw it off the bridge, and then you have one nice unbroken title reign for your Wikipedia. Not to be, sadly. It will. All right. These... What do you like better, spelling the word degeneration X or D hyphen generation X? I spell degeneration in my notes, so I guess Me I went too. with that. Yeah. I think degeneration with the E is Sean and Hunter, and D hyphen generation is the Triple H led group. That's my That's decision. A nice, nice dividing line. I can see that. Mm-hmm. The Slaughter Triple H bootcamp match went 17 minutes. Uh, not a good sign when Dave writes to remind everyone that this match is eligible for next year's worst match of the year voting, not the current year. <laughs> and um, yeah, they just fought forever. And Sarge gets the Cobra Clutch. And, oh, they chant that too? No. <laughs> China runs in 10 minutes into the match. Sarge throws powder at her. She comes back, low blows him. Triple H wins. One of those matches does nothing for no one because Triple H looks bad. He needs help beating a 50-year-old. Sarge looks bad because Triple H insulted his wife and family, and he, he just gets his ass kicked trying to stand <laughs> up for them. I guess China came out okay, but um, not not good. Not good. Yeah, I was as you were talking, Googling Sergeant Slaughter's age, and it looks like if this is to be believed, he would um, be 49 years old here, um, which is just the age when you're supposed to like go 50-50 with Seth Rollins at uh, WrestleMania. <laughs> Jeff Jarrett got beat up by The Undertaker for five minutes until Kane showed up. And Jarrett did the, like, yeah, get him, pantomimes to Kane. So Kane <laughs> chokeslammed him, and Jarrett won by DQ. Then Undertaker chokeslammed Jarrett. So the usual nonsense they probably think about elevating people, but no. And um, Kane slammed He got the, the rub from Kane and The Undertaker? Yeah, he was, he was very fortunate here. Kane also slapped The Undertaker. And they were showing remarkable restraint holding off on this till Mania. I give them mm-hmm. give him credit. That, yeah, they they. Well, I guess it, it's it's both. It's like good long term booking, but also they get together and break up in the next month. So yes, <laughs> but uh, I guess he was deceiving him. Let's see. We had the tag title match between the Outlaws and LOD. Uh, Outlaws uh, faking illness, kept running away. LOD forced him into the ring, and Road Dog wrestled most of the match. I don't know if Billy Gunn was hurt or not. But LOD is about to win when Henry Godwin runs in with a bucket, Hawk gets it, and we get a DQ and <laughs> more matches between these teams who like never had I don't think they ever really had I, I guess the tag title swap was okay, but the um yeah, they, they teams that had so many matches on pay-per-view and like never had a good one was uh, a little frustrating. Stack division at this point. <laughs> uh Butterbean and Mero had a boxing match. They actually called a tough man fight. Because mm-hmm. Butterbean actually had a boxing match the night before, and you can't even do an exhibition so close to a real fight. Uh, so. antics included a cheap shot after the round ended, choking him with tape, which you don't see that often, <laughs> boxing a thumb to the eye and a drop kick. And uh, Butterbean started dominating in round three, I think, knocked out Mero. Was saved by the bell, so Mero low-blowed him in round four and beat him up with a stool. So, very Three Stooges-esque uh, outing here. He galotted him. Yes, he did. So, uh, Let's see. We also had DOA Barik was six-man, because why not? Um, Miguel Perez Jr. jumped off the top rope. He looked like he hyperextended his knee. So he rolled to the floor, and he was out of the match. So Savio runs in and tries to take his place, but the ref's like, no, you're not a elite competitor. So Perez runs back in at the end and interferes, and the Barik was win, because he was faking his injury. 
but he took himself out of the match. So <laughs> they were at a distinct disadvantage mm-hmm. for a good chunk of the match. So, but they did win. So I guess uh, who am I to argue with the plan? Yeah, or so you thought, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> the ultimate scheme. <laughs> the secret plan. <laughs> may, may I ask you a question about the previous topic? Sure. Okay, who do you think would win between Mark Marrow, or should I say Marvelous Mark Marrow, and Eric Butterbean something if the match was contested under raw underground rules? <laughs> I don't know if uh, Omos would allow Butterbean. He probably <laughs> I guess not let right. him in the club. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, the show opened with the light heavyweight title being decided. The finals of the tournament between Taka Michinoku and Brian Christopher. Look, I think Brian Christopher was very talented. I get why you'd want him in the division. He's a good promo. You know, a lot of the guys didn't speak English. He gets good reactions, but he's not Dean Malenko. And you know his, you know the match wasn't. Bad, but it's you know it's just you really want to kind of have like a good blowaway match here, and it really wasn't it. So I don't know. It was just kind of a Christopher would find better things to do later on. Yeah, I think you just answered my hypothetical of Kota Ibushi's 2016-2017 WWE run, which is that he loses the match for the inaugural or re-inaugural Cruiserweight Championship when the Brian Kendrick thumbs him in the eye illegally. <laughs> And rolls him up and puts his feet on the ropes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is exactly the hot start we could get. Both yeah, the, Oh, Mark Henry was in the Milton Bradley Rooting Center, whatever that was. He said he would be back soon. And there was a really bad segment where Goldust came out and read Green Eggs and Ham with a lisp. And I'm very glad I did not attend this show because I would have been very embarrassed to see that live. And we're almost done. Just our last note from The Observer. November 11th Observer. In dark matches, Adam Copeland, a 23-year-old who has worked in these at Sexton Hardcastle and is said to have a great look, be Christian Cage, who he has worked with for years in Canadian indies. I don't know why you threw that in. I don't know who these guys are. <laughs> Sorry, a bunch of nobodies who uh, would show up. And our final note, Bischoff reportedly told Sean Morley, who has had tryouts with both WWF and WCW in recent weeks, that whatever he's offered by WWF, that Bischoff would match or top it. I wonder what Sean Morley would have been like in WCW. <laughs> probably just a Lance Storm type gimmick there. Just a guy probably having a lot of matches on the pro. It's Sean Morley. This guy has a lot of potential. Oh my yeah. gosh. And we joined the flock, perhaps. Oh yeah. Oh, that could be, yeah. Although with the yeah, flock was still a thing. Yeah, if you when you're talking about the green eggs and ham, if you heard me trail off, it's not because I tried to think of a canceling Dr. Seuss joke and then just got bummed and gave up. That didn't happen. Okay. Just wanted to clear that up. All right. And uh, Morley was working as Lightning Kid in Puerto Rico, which is weird enough, but the fake Razor Ramon was also there at the time, so Whoa. what a treat. <laughs> wow, he should like uh pin him in a surprise match. <laughs> All right, and that's going to do it. We did it. Where I mean, there's still like three weeks of 1997 left, but I feel that's good. Q198. Yeah, we will we'll get that on in. that for the 20th anniversary show. <laughs> Let's send messages to ourselves on that show. Yes, <laughs> things we want to hear. <laughs> Justin and Joe, 20, um, 26. You're doing a great job. We love you. We're so proud of you. Joe's son is such a good guy. Justin has some stuff going on also. <laughs> and uh, 
and just congratulations on on 20 great years we knew you could do it all right well that's all set for uh talk to you in uh, in, uh <laughs> 25 years i mean <laughs> 25 years, <laughs> in five years. the 20th anniversary we'll see we'll see how far we get if we could do one of these a year oh we'd be done in like eight years that's not gonna work so i don't <laughs> know we'll keep plugging along who knows yeah you know yep I'm confident and I'm comfortable with what we've accomplished so far. That's right. And this depends on what, <laughs> what shows up, whether I'm just going off notes and memory of, um, you know, that's no true way out, too. Yes. No way out of Texas. But, I remember <laughs> that but honestly, it's not about the decade. It's not about the year to me. It's less about the world wrestling federation and more about the world comma, uh, Joe versus the, because, oh, this has been such a wonderful thing that I've done in my life. And Joe, you are just the greatest. And what a thrill to be on Joe versus the world X number of times. Well, thank you. I'm, you know, I'm so glad we're still doing this after all these years. Cause you probably heard we laughed a lot and had a lot of fun. So it's wild. And the reason I was so quiet on episode two is because I did it on a landline telephone. Oh, and that's right. Those days. Now, I'm on Apple's interactive phone, which is basically a computer in my hand. Isn't it amazing? What a world. Huh. Yeah, why are you so against it? <laughs> All right. Do you have anything you'd like to plug? Any more AEW podcast appearances? Yes, I think the next time I will be on the um, Elite Beat podcast, they wanted me to come cover the first episode whenever it airs of... Um, uh, uh, Roads and Roses, or whatever it's called. Oh, that's right, yeah. And I've been on there, I think, three times over the last couple of years. Um, they are some nice folks. They just recap a, a weekly podcast. That's insane, of, of AEW Dynamite. It's called The Elite Beat. You can see links to it at the Twitter of a man named Andy Napier, whose Twitter handle is NapDaddy33, which is um, Nap, like not Nap the Bug, almost completely different letters. Uh, daddy like Poppy Chulo and 33 like the um, uh, the record that is 33 or something like that. Um, that's it. Okay. They're nice and I was on it um, and I just wanted to know, Joe, since the wallflowers have already appeared on the song of the day, will one headlight, is it disqualified or can it still appear in the future? I'm afraid I'm trying to do one song. <sighs> Well, I'm pissed. I guess I should have got that out of the way at the beginning of the show, because I really don't like this decision. But okay. <laughs> I, I really like the Sixth Avenue heartache. I'm sorry. All right. All right. All right. All right. On that note, uh, you can follow Justin on Twitter at JM Shapiro with a Y. With a y. Uh, yes, with a Y, because yep. the other guy gets mad if you <laughs> <laughs> tweet funny jokes at him. So don't bother. Oh, I never would know. <laughs> <laughs> and yes, thanks everyone for sticking with this. Sorry, it's been a while, but um, I think it was—I think it was worth the wait. I got to say, and I greatly enjoy doing this with Justin. We have so much fun. I hope—I hope you enjoy this too. And thanks to anyone who listens, anyone who spreads the word, anyone who's appeared on the show. It's so weird. We did this for so long, and uh, we're still doing it. So again, we'll—we'll we'll try to have another show on this. We'll del- delve into '98 sooner. And then there's 99, which Justin says is one of the 10 best years in company history. We'll have to see if that, uh, if that holds true. I still remember that. So we'll find out someday. But uh, yeah, knock on wood. 
until well, it's then, really then. not fair. It, t- until then, he was seconds away. But like, real wrestlers do podcasts now, and sometimes they interview real wrestlers. So, like, <laughs> how can we compete with that? Anyway, so thank you to everyone. Mwah, 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 and good night. All right. Yes. Thank you, Justin. Thank you, everyone. Even thanks to the world. We'll talk to you later. <laughs>